Anyway, that is my full-on dick hard recommend. Yeah. Uh, it is, I've, I've come close a couple times. I'm not there yet, but I'm almost ready to say it's my favorite movie I've seen in 10 years. Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. That would be me. That would be Jeremy. Yeah. And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Shear. Happy Holidays! Yes. Ah, I thought you were going to give us the Frosty the Snowman. Happy Birthday! Happy yeah. Birthday! Another one of my wife's favorite movies right there. That is an adorable, adorable cartoon. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. By the yeah. way, I said, I know we're getting derailed immediately, mm-hmm. but I said on a recent podcast that Santa Claus is Coming to Town is better than Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer in terms of these Rankin-Bass specials. I had not seen either in a long time. Mm-hmm. Then last night, my wife was watching Santa Claus is Coming to Town, and I was so wrong. Is it bad? It's not bad, but there is a three-minute song in the middle that you need magic mushrooms to understand what the fuck. I was even cracking jokes like, hey, boss, we got to fill three minutes. Oh, just uh, draw some diamonds spinning with uh, her voice wailing. And it goes from like stop motion to cartoon and back again. I think I remember. And it is like LSD central. And I was just like, wow, I got to correct that. I can't have the podcast note of record being that Jeremy is encouraging you. No, I can't do really, that. honestly, we don't know how how many drugs are consumed making these things. <sighs> I'll tell you what, man, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, there was a lot going on there because mm-hmm. there's there's so much obvious subtext. We'll just dive right in. We're talking about Christmas movies yeah. right now because this is coming out on Christmas Eve. If you're listening to this uh, on the, the Monday in which we're dropping it, it is Christmas Eve, happy holidays and all that stuff. But uh, Rudolph, I just watched it again recently mm-hmm. this year. And, of course, you've got the themes of uh, Barry, who's the elf, the elf that wants to be the dentist, mm-hmm. uh, who's obviously gay, and yeah. they, they couldn't come out and say that. But it is a nice message and everything. But then, like, the misfit toys thing and, like, how they – and the, the, the snaggletooth, uh, uh, the abominable snowman and the fucking uh, prospector that licks his axe and stuff like that. Man, yep. there's just so much going in there that, that isn't normal kid stuff. Right. It's adults on drug stuff. Yeah. Yeah. They, well, uh, even Mary Poppins. That's why I wrote that joke. Movie fails to give proper take drugs now warning. Yeah, because right. even that movie goes hard into, you took acid, right? Yeah. Here we go. Let's enjoy. <laughs> yeah. Either either back then they didn't look at children as snowflakes. Yep. Or they didn't give a fuck. There's a couple of reasons. There's a couple of things that could, could be going into that. Um. Since this episode's sort of going to be free form, <laughs> uh, it, we we mentioned Fleetwood Mac in the previous episode, uh-huh. and I went and looked up uh, rumors to see how much was going on behind the scenes oh, yeah. when they were making that. And like, so you had you know Stevie Nicks, and you had um, what's the guitarist name? Uh, Leslie Buggingham. Leslie no. Buggingham. Lindsay Lindsay. Lindsay Buggingham. They were both in the relationship and they were just breaking up at the time. Mm -hmm. But then they would still get together and do songs and stuff together, even during all this crap going on. Meanwhile, you had the McVees were also divorcing. Right. And me, like, it's funny. I was reading this whole thing on Wikipedia and, like, you know who just, just, 
just kind of like skates by and nobody. Nick Fleetwood. Yeah. Never, yeah. never, never hear a thing about that motherfucker. Because <laughs> he's, he's the drummer, right? <laughs> yeah. Like he's just back in the back. Like, yeah. He's like seven feet tall and yeah. he's just like, fuck it. He's like, this, this band has pretty much your name on it. And like, you're not, you're not even the most famous person in the band. And, uh, but, um, so rumors, they, and they apparently were just doing all sorts of fucking cocaine mm. making that album. Oh. And you can't listen to the songs without thinking about that. You know, like they were on, they were so high when they made, but yet they, they're so perfect. These yeah. songs, like yeah. these perfect pop songs. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they, they apparently would just, get, they would, they would be in this studio and it would be like just really expensive sessions. <laughs> And they would, uh, they would party all day and all morning and everything. And then when they were just, just tired and couldn't do anything, they would go and record. Oh, wow. Yeah. They found the, they found the formula. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yikes. So that's just, uh, yeah. When you, th- when you see stuff like that in these shows, I, I can't, Im- I can't imagine they weren't on drugs. Listen, I mean, you can, you can do some amazing work on drugs. I'm like, just uh, kind of sitting here amazed at the whole elf gay analogy. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't think that ever crossed my mind before. Oh, really? I always well, thought it, it was weird that, A, he wanted to be such a specific thing as a yeah. dentist, <laughs> and B, that that would bring scorn. I always thought it was a weak plot point. No, I never, yeah. I never saw any kind of analogy there, and maybe that has to do with more how I was raised or the environment I was raised in. Uh, but until you just said that right now, I never made that connection. That's interesting. It's probably been a long time since you've seen it. Though. Yeah, so, it's probably been 10, 15 years. But in this context, it'll, it will it smacks you in the face immediately because not only is the elf, quote-unquote, effete, um, you know, sure. he's, he's definitely got some um, some stereotypical qualities of, of homosexuality, at least in those days. Uh, but the fact that he's so pronouncedly like, I can't do this. I have to do something else. Yeah. It is my calling. It's, it, it's, it's me. And it, it, it screams of the subtext. It, it's well done because it is, you know, not, I guess, overt to where you would see it as a kid. Well, um, this is as good a time as any, seeing as how we're talking about context. Cause I think one of the things we were going to talk about is that baby, it's cold outside yeah. controversy mm. and how. The pendulum started to swing back in defense of that song. And I saw this ultimately fascinating Twitter thread by a a woman whose name I forget, Mm. uh, breaking down the song in its context of when it was written, Mm. uh, lyric by lyric, showing that what is being said is because of the times, you know, she can't say, hey, I want to fuck you. Mm-hmm. I'm a, I want to sleep over. They have to society demands that they play this sort of game where, well, it's cold outside. They got an excuse, right? Yeah. Snowing and and that ultimately lyrically in the in the era was written an argument can be made there's absolutely nothing wrong with the song. Mm-hmm. And I'm almost ready to just call this a hot dog sandwich issue. <laughs> I was yeah. about to say. Yeah. <laughs> it's what it sounds like to me. I mean, I don't think it matters. There's so many people that have covered that song. It's in the movie Elf. Only in the last two to three years have there been voices rising up saying this song is inappropriate. And I think I've been one of them on the podcast jokingly talking about this before. Yeah. Um, we've, we've even joked 
uh, as an aside about the police and how half of their songs are about inappropriate shit. Mm. Yeah. But, in, you know, if we go back and look at the context, there may be more to explain that. Well, than- and isn't there some maybe some Occam's Razor type stuff going on here? Like, did we really write a song back then advocating rape? No. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I can't. That's what I can't fathom out right. of this yes things were a little bit more fucked up we've talked about that clean eastwood movie yeah you know, yeah all that but like i can't even imagine that somebody's like in their house like well you know let's write this sex song but it's like you know like you know it's cold you gotta stay inside blah 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 yeah. he's happily merrily writing this along not one thought in his head about or who whoever whoever wrote it i yeah, don't yeah, know who wrote it uh but uh not one thought in their heads about that type of thing then 50 years later people are like oh it's so like <laughs> rapey and crap it's weird because you know obviously we're in a hypersensitive era which I would probably take that over the 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 opposite, the other end of the spectrum, right? Um, it's funny because it, we I just watched Mamma Mia too, and it's got that "I Kiss the Teacher" song in there. God, uh, and it's like, what the fuck is that all about? I mean, no, I mean, <laughs> God, because that derailed the entire movie for me. Well, yeah, because in, in Abba's time when they released it, all right, playful little lark about a student, you know, yep. doing. Doesn't really fuck, but then they put it in a 2018 movie, and it's yeah. like, fuck you, man. Yeah, you really weren't paying attention. Or, um, or I think I wrote something about. I guess we're spoiler. We're sending <laughs> this movie. I think I wrote something about how you know when you make a sequel and you're trying to use only ABBA music, you know maybe you've gone too far. Yeah. Like you, now we're using songs like this. Like, yeah. maybe, I mean the next one's gonna have to use like Ace of Base or something. <laughs> like that. The Cardigans, yeah, the Cardigans, yeah. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I think I actually was like you with the baby it's cold outside thing because it does it is creepy lyrically especially when he's talking about have another drink and that kind of thing but then you gotta like cool your your ass a little bit cool your your jets big as as hyper liberal as i am and as 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 sensitive as i am there's just some things that it's not worth being all being all crazy about. Uh, and I think something like this, it's hard to quantify, though, because if you're like, oh, well, we let baby, let, it's cold outside, that gets a pass. What else is uh, is next, you know? Well, and that's the, that's the other thing that concerns me is this. In politics, they're using this phrase, whataboutism. So I'll stay away from politics and say, who else-ism? Mm-hmm. because i feel like there's and i did a little bit of this the last podcast where i'm sort of trying to compare you know how we treat someone like chris brown versus how we treat someone like kevin hart mm-hmm. um and you know there's always going to be examples i saw somebody commented about you know pointing out nick cannon showed tweets after the kevin hart thing about sarah silverman mm-hmm. and amy schumer mm-hmm. using the same kind of language and i think that if we're going to go down this road and apparently Sarah Silverman has said she's going to address it on her own platform mm-hmm. and that she's never going to use that word again. And I think that's a conversation we can have. I th- again, if Kevin Hart had wanted to have a conversation, he might still be hosting the Oscars. Right, right, right. How he chose to respond is part of he didn't get fired so much as he threw a tantrum like Bat- Lego Batman. <laughs> <laughs> and but I mean, there's always going to be something else out there we can point to and say, well, that doesn't jive with this. Right. Because, mm-hmm. again, we, we want a, we want a world that's equal. And it's just never going to be right. It's interesting that Secret Life of Pets two thing that's coming out because they had to replace TJ or Lucy K yep. 
obviously as the main dogs or the main character's voice. And then, so now all the promotion that I've seen over the last month or so is all Kevin Hart's character. Oh, and yeah. And now I'm wondering if it's going to then switch oh. back oh, over to whoever replaced Lucy I think Kevin Hart's going to be okay. I think he will, too. Um, and, and again... That's the thing is we have to we have to we have to examine every case on its own merit. Mm-hmm. We can't be comparing apples to oranges because every case is unique. You know, Kevin Hart made some jokes on Twitter that used gay slurs, but Chris Brown hit a woman. I can't compare those two acts. Mm-hmm. I just I do think it's a little strange that no one's crying about him. Yeah. While we're hawking hey, everybody else's former Twitter feeds. If the if the NFL has uh, proved anything, if there was video of it. Yeah. That yeah. would have been that would be the. uh that's pretty fascinating, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That we need the visual evidence because that's happened now twice in the NFL. There's always a mm-hmm. there's always a way that people have reasonable doubt when they don't have the video. Yeah, like yeah. well, I didn't see it happen. I mean, she says it did, right? And some people have reasonable doubt even after they've seen it. No, uh, that shit didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, that's not even like the R. Kelly shit. That's not even the girl he's accused of hitting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know. But, um, but yeah, that's the, uh, yeah, I know. I, I think that happens. We have, we do that all the time. We mm-hmm. probably do that in our everyday lives. Yeah. And don't even know. Yep. Um, so, so Christmas movies and songs. Yeah. So, uh, have you seen Scrooged yet? I have. You have? Oh, I have seen it. That's... What do you, what do you think? Um, you know what? Like I, I do with every movie. Like I, I'd forgotten who directed it and all uh. the other times. And, uh, I started watching it and I was like, okay, can I guess who directed this right off the bat? I know it was somebody, a name. And, uh, before I see the name, I want to be able to name this thing. I, and I picked Richard Donner. Yeah. Um, it's so Richard Donnery. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because the last time you talked about, uh, Goonies, you talked about how shouty it was mm-hmm. and how shouty a lot of his movies are. And this movie is very shouty. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I haven't seen Bill Murray this shouty and weird off and like sort of off from his usual. He, he's a dick, but he's like a different kind of dick. In he this. is. Yep. He's not a relaxed dick. Yeah. I think there was a lot of nose Charlie happening around that set. You know, they say a relaxed dick. Can't really tell you anything about <laughs> what that dick will look like when, when it's less than relaxed. Uh, he is a fully erect dick in this yes. movie. Yes, he is. Um, he it, like it, it's it, it, so I I was watching it and like the first ten to fifteen minutes are nearly unbearable. They're yeah. bad. Yeah, they're bad I, because of how hyperkinetic everything is and how loud everything is. Yes. Yeah. Um. I love the like stuff at the very, very beginning where they're doing that, like Bob Goulet's Christmas yeah. in the Bayou thing. <laughs> the Bayou. And, uh, they, and they've got the, the Christmas special with Lee Majors. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, uh, of course they, they got, uh, John Hausman to come in to be in the, to be reading from a book on Scrooge on, uh, the Christmas Carol that they're making or whatever. Um, so a lot of that's funny, but then right when they're doing all the, when, when it's just, there's something, Donner, even back in 1988 was just cut, 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 yep. cut, 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 and like in the middle of sentences are cutting and like just, a, and Bill Murray's just like, he breaks glass with the way, how bad he is. Yeah. And, uh, and I was reading some trivia afterwards and, and Murray said he didn't get along with Donner at all. Oh, really? Yeah. And he said that this could have been a really good movie. But um, I when I finally watched the final product, I saw that he only used one of the takes that 
like one of my takes oh wow on, on the really on the, like i guess they did a one for you one for me type of uh, deal and and only only one take that he oh that's see interesting in there. uh of course there's a uh, conflicting information when you go through the trivia of scrooge because at one point it says bill murray said this script was amazing and then another part down there said when he got the script he tore it into pieces and they made mm. you know so who knows what really happened on that uh, once it gets into the actual Christmas Carol-y type stuff, I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like the parallels that they put in there. Like you're trying to figure out who's the Tiny Tim, who's the, yeah, yeah. you know, who's the Bob Cratchit, all, who's, who are all these. I literally asked that as I was watching it mm-hmm. uh, with my wife or one of my buddies. It was, uh, I was like, so who is playing Bob Cratchit? Is it Alfred Woodard's character? Is it his brother? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, yeah, because they do kind of well, blend those roles well yeah and also at first i thought it was just going to be the bobcat goldthwaite guy right him too yeah yeah, yeah but exactly. then they, he gets straight up fired and then there's like a running gag that he just can't get anything to drink he, yeah, no, he keeps he keeps dropping the bottle or somebody takes the bottle from him or um but then you know he ends up like really scary and comes into the studio with a gun yeah, and starts yeah, yeah. blasting and stuff um there there are moments in this movie but yeah i i think ultimately i don't know if i liked it um, i think that's fair yeah um it's uh it's uh it's got i love the whole i love carol kane in this oh yeah. she's great she beats the fuck out of him yeah it's so great carol kane is so good in this and uh and and karen allen one of my all-time loves <laughs> she is adorable she's you know unimpeachable in this movie yeah but for a reason, because everybody else in this movie is a scumbag one way or another. Yeah, except um, for maybe Alfre Woodard. Yeah, no, I guess so. I yeah, guess yeah. the I guess those two, Alfre Woodard and his brother, and are his also brother, who's actually his brother, his real brother. Yeah, um, yeah, and then you got David Johansson as the uh, as the cab driver, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he of the the New York Dolls, and uh, <laughs> it was apparently I read another thing in the trivia for this that uh, somebody from the new york dolls was saw this and he, when he saw david johansson in that role he tried to throw himself out of a window what yeah he got that upset about it that Yikes. was that was imagine when he did hot 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 yeah yeah exactly <laughs> anyway yeah scrooge has got uh has got moments in it i don't think in in on the whole i'm i'm a big fan of that movie no and i think it's i I agree with you because i think the main thing is that donner ended up making the movie that was within the movie because the the movie within the movie the the scrooge or christmas carol or whatever is supposed to be dialed up to 11 you've got mary lou retton doing fucking like somersaults and all Mm -hmm. that and he got guns and murder elves and stuff like that but then like the movie the the scrooge itself is packaged in this hyperkinetic crazy type of pace mm-hmm. both with editing and with performances yeah that he's he's a parody of himself mm-hmm. while making this that being said i think there's so many good jokes in here and i think there's when it does slow down i think there's genuine like hard in this movie that i'll watch it pretty much every year i'm glad you watched it though yep yep um how about that christmas chronicles on netflix any of y'all seen that shit no i'm glad that you have though what do you what do you think this is as record warning as a movie will ever be this is kurt russell right as yes Santa? because on the one hand this movie is batshit insane <laughs> and i would not wish it on anyone i haven't even heard of this <laughs> on the other hand kurt russell is having so much fun really as santa that it's worth watching the movie <laughs> Like he's having 
like Big Trouble in Little China kind levels of fun in <laughs> nice. this role. And he's he's playing Santa as a very uh, like he gets to drive a sports car, which uh-huh. he's either never done before or hasn't done in a very long time. And he's like laughing like Jesse at the end of Breaking Bad as he's like driving <laughs> the sports car. Like he's so fun. But this movie is literally all the ideas and they just didn't take any of them out. Um, so he's Santa and these kids dad died in a fire their mom is father of the bride's daughter um kimberly married to country singer guy yeah i forget her last name kimberly williams kimberly williams Mm. she's married to somebody famous yeah it's like uh is it brad paisley yes because she's kimberly williams paisley Ah. so she's the mom she's working a lot of jobs to keep the family afloat after dad died and that's where they're trying to get the heart but none of it really pays off brother and sister are fighting course as Mm -hmm. as they are wont to do uh and then lo and behold mom has to go work on christmas eve Mm -hmm. you two kids get along and behave older brother little sister and then little sister is looking through old videos and sees santa's arm in a previous christmas and and blackmails her brother to help her get video footage of santa this year how does she blackmail him she's out got video of him stealing a car which apparently he does um and so they set up trip wires to activate a camera and they catch Santa, but she sees him and the brother doesn't, so he's still skeptical. She runs outside and lo, there's the sleigh just hovering above their street. That's what Santa does. Uh-huh. And he's magic rainbow hopping really fast from chimney to chimney, like he's hitting a whole neighborhood at once while he just leaves the sleigh parked there, hovering. Uh-huh. She's like, oh, stay away time. She climbs on Santa's sleigh. Brother's like, well, I better go after her. I'm going to get in trouble. He gets on the sleigh. Boom. Now we got stowaway Santa's. <laughs> they accidentally make him crash. He loses his hat, which is where his magic comes from. He loses his bag of presents, which is necessary for Christmas. And yes. the sleigh breaks. Uh-huh. And they're in like fucking Chicago or some. I don't know where <laughs> they're at. They're, they're in like some in downtown. <laughs> I think it's Chicago, actually. And so then the cops show up and Kurt Russell ends up arrested. Uh-huh. And he has to create christmas spirit in the cops to make them let him go so he convinces all the other prisoners in jail to perform a rock song with him (laughs) (laughs) and it works (laughs) uh the movie's elves the movie makes a weird choice to give me cgi furry gremlin elves (laughs) so they're not humanoid but they're pastel colored they're like basically like they look like demon rabbits and they're like I'm not. I'm not even joking. This movie is fucking I kinda watch this bonkers. Thing. Well, you you should. That's why it's a wreck award. <laughs> Kurt Russell is having so much fun. He made me laugh is and it, smile. Is, a it, lot. is it like Troll Two Christmas Edition? Yeah, like basically that? with a huge budget. Now this is a Netflix original. Now we have to take them at their word, but they came out a week after this movie had been released and said that uh, 20 million people had watched it in its first seven days. Which, if it translated to Ticket sales, that's like a $200 million first week, mm. uh, which is pretty fucking amazing. Yeah. Now, that being said, I wonder how many of them have rewatched it. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like I, I kind of went in hoping for like a new Christmas classic because, <laughs> you know, the idea of Kurt Russell as Santa is appealing and, you know, but no, I mean, he's fun. He's so much fun. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't judge you for watching it just for that. And then we get to the end. We've never met Mrs. Claus, but we hear her voice and she's hanging an ornament or something. And I turned to my wife and I said, you know who that is, right? She said, Goldie Hawn. Uh-huh. And I said, well, 
if it's not, then there's that's a fucking crime. Of course, it's Goldie Hawn. Yeah, uh, cameo Goldie Hawn Christmas. You Mrs. know what Clark. would be sick as if it was Kate Hudson. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> it gets progressively <laughs> uglier the more you think about it. Or Chris Robinson. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Listen, that, yeah. Oh my God, that's um, that's something. By the way. <laughs> that has happened in movies before um the uh there's an actress uh named shyler lee who uh, was in um that 80s show uh, she was back in, in not another teen movie not another teen movie yeah, yeah. uh she's got a actor brother and there is a movie that they're both in where they're boyfriend and girlfriend maybe yikes, yikes. I, of all the actors to choose from, yeah, you really have to and go it's that not around? say it isn't so. <laughs> it isn't. Uh, but I've all, you know, it's weird. I've always had, I've always had the uh, the willies a little bit when brothers and sisters play in movies and they aren't playing brother and sister, yeah. even if they're not romantically involved. Like the Cusacks do this all the time. They do. And uh, and like every time I see them, I'm like, your guys, you guys in in this world could date. So <laughs> yeah. it's kind of weird. <laughs> um, you think uh, overall Kurt Russell's an underrated actor? Yeah, probably. Yeah. I think he's been he, in some really good stuff. You know? Yeah. Now I think I think ultimately his reputation will catch up to where it probably deserves to be. Yeah. Ultimately, but it's like we're not appreciating him enough in his current era yeah i don't think he's had like a jeff bridges type of uh moment like with crazy heart or with big lebowski maybe he will like that, yeah that yeah. he needs something to to validate so you guys have been kind of taking me for granted all these years mm -hmm. because he's never been no nominated for an oscar has he mm, maybe for miracle i miracle don't, even i'm gonna that, look it up i don't think he has but i will look he it certainly up. i don't think has has won one no wait he won best actor for soldier oh that's right <laughs> i did forget about that that what movie won like 10 awards <laughs> <laughs> he's been in a ton of shit though i mean you look at vanilla sky he's great in vanilla sky oh yeah, oh, yeah. uh he's great in tombstone regardless of how you they've you, been running that like crazy on stars lately tombstone yeah oh, i've been so watching good. it He's so been good. nominated for a Golden Globe that and just one for Silkwood. Oh, oh interesting. interesting. Oh, and of course, Escape from L.A. Yes. Oh. Um, <laughs> God. You know, the other thing, uh, it's funny that, you know, we have we have the Santa Claus video that has come out. Um, one thing in that video that I've seen in a lot of Santa Claus's real movies is uh, the odd... Uh, the odd thing about parents in those movies, none of them believe in Santa Claus. Mm -hmm. Yet Santa Claus definitely exists. Yes. And I have I have a theory now on why Santa Claus is able to make his appointed rounds in one night because five people believe in him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah. I can see it. <laughs> he doesn't have to go very far. That's true. Oh, That's man. true. Luckily, yeah, it's, luckily, it's all like within you know sleigh distance. It's uh, yeah, it's all within the greater Chicagoland area. It's all apparently. within Chicagoland. Yeah, fuck that movie. By the way, all you people who watched the Santa Claus or remember it fondly or whatever it is, careful. You're speaking to my wife. It, it, no, no, <laughs> no. Stop it because that movie fucking sucks. I was the same. Uh, I had the same mentality until we did this sins video, and I was like, "Oh, the Santa Claus! This will be really good." And fuck that movie! I was, I was, I was angry at it, 
and for Tim Allen is just a fucking irredeemable asshole. Mm-hmm. The effects are shitty. The kid is shitty. Like the <laughs> the fucking Wendy Crewson looks like Uma Thurman in Pulp Fiction. The like kid fucking- is shitty. Yeah, the kid may be a psychopath. <laughs> yeah, and Tim Allen is. This is literally Home Improvement. The it's sequel. Exactly. That's all Christmas. it is. He's playing the same exact character, which is why my wife likes this movie, because that Tim Allen is very funny to her. And he mm-hmm. has a lot of great quips in this movie that yep. if you pretend home improvement ended, he got divorced, had another kid with this woman, and he's literally playing Tim the Toolman Taylor, you can kind of enjoy. Well, like think- all the cracks at Neil remind me of Jim Carrey ragging on the boyfriend in Liar Liar. That was an outtake in there where he was where oh, he's was waving it? at uh, yeah. at Judge Reinhold. He's like, Jerry, enjoy my uh, wife. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like like the he comes to pick up the kid and, and uh he's like uh she says, Do you want to know what he's doing? Or you don't want to know where he is? He's in his room playing Santa Claus with a reindeer riding on the chairs and, and Tim goes, I don't care what Neil's doing, I want to know what my son is doing. <laughs> yeah. So he's got a lot of great quips like that. But you're right. If you step back and just watch it. Uh, it, it really, the, very few redeemable people. Yes, in yes. One thing that is lost to time is how Home Improvement and Seinfeld used to be on the same night. Yeah. yeah. And Home Improvement regularly crushed Seinfeld. It did. Until Seinfeld finally moved to Thursday. And then... They owned that NBC owned that night with block comedy blocks mm-hmm. for like almost ten straight years. Yeah, they and did because they moved. They like it ended up being beneficial to both shows. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when they went head to head, and if they had stayed that way, I don't think Seinfeld would have ever become the. It nearly phenomenon. did get canceled, yeah. I believe. What's um, interesting is that Seinfeld never had like real holiday themed episodes. Like they would have, well, they had Festivus, yeah, and they would have stuff in the background where you'd see like decorations and stuff like that. But they never had like, oh, we're going to do like what Friends did with uh, Thanksgiving where right. they'd go out and play football or the Friends Christmas episodes like when Heidi. Yeah. Heidi. Heidi. Yeah. When, when Phoebe? Phoebe is out there like ringing the bell and all that <laughs> shit. Uh, Christmas Christmas TV episodes were my jam. Mm-hmm. Like almost every time. Do you remember the house Christmas episode? Nope. Uh they did a couple. Of them. I saw all the episodes, so if you give me a refresher, then somebody got oh, they sick all kind of run together. Like, <laughs> yeah. diagnose I mean, that's the thing, them. right? Like that's the every episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this one had a bunch of Christmas trees, and it ended up with him drinking bourbon, playing "Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas" yeah. on the piano. But like that stuff, for whatever reason, like Scrubs always did this really well. Friends always did this really well. House is is one of the things that I thought about. But I'm just down with with the Christmas episodes, mm-hmm. you know. And even the Festivus thing is so iconic at this point that Seinfeld did. Is that the same episode with her Christmas card where I no, think that's a I different see one. a nipple? Yeah, that's a different one. <laughs> <laughs> that's my nipple! Because <laughs> this painstaking episode. George is like, everybody nipple. get a card but me. She's like, you want a card? She shoves his face into her cleavage. <laughs> um... You know what? The other reason to fuck, uh, say fuck Santa Claus. The reason, other reason to fuck Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah. The other reason to say fuck Santa Claus is how because of the wordplay, uh, where there it's the clause as in a contract. Yes. Everybody spells Santa Claus the wrong way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. They yep. used to spell it the right way all the time. Then that movie came out, and everybody's like, "Oh, I guess I've been misspelling it." This part whole time. of the problem yeah. is that the fucking spell check will accept either one. Yep. So I'm not gonna. It's true. I'm and not this, getting a red squiggly. I just whole, keep moving on. This whole Santa Claus thing, this contract is so yada yada in this fucking movie where 
if if Santa dies, first of all, nobody gives a shit that Santa died. Nobody. Mm-hmm. They get back to the North Pole and all the elves are like, hey, yeah. you. Yeah. Hey, I guess he's Santa, man. Did he not have a wife? Well, he didn't. He has an ex-wife. But if he did... No, I'm saying the previous Santa. Oh, yeah. Because the second movie, the second clause is, is the Mrs. Is clause. the Mrs. Clause. He yeah, has yeah. to get married. Yeah. So the Santa he killed to take the job had a wife somewhere. And yeah. he's got to shack did up with the... she poof off into the soul stone? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's the keeper now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Now, this this movie infuriates me on, on many different levels. Mm-hmm. And Tim Allen is one of them. Uh, but yeah, the logic behind it, I guess when I was 14 to 13, I was just like, Oh, reindeer and yeah. stuff like that. I remember watching it when I was 17 and thought it was all right. Yeah. Yeah. This was the first real movie that uh, Tim Allen ever did. Uh, yeah. he had done something before then, but it wasn't you know, mainstream yeah. or anything. It was like, uh, Tim Allen, uh, sort of came in like, I, I knew of Tim Allen before home improvement because of stand up and everything. Uh, Evening at the Improv used to play on A and E all the time, and he used to record those. He used to watch those, you know. Those are great. Yeah, those Evening at the Improvs were great. And Tim Allen was on one of them. I used to watch that one routine he did on on there for like tons of time. It's basically Tim the Toolman Taylor, right? It is. is it, it, well, that's how they that's how they came up with that show. Mm-hmm. It was based on his. I mean, I even saw. I've even seen Tim Allen live. I saw him at TPAC. Did you really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Was it good? Uh, yeah, it was. It was. It was really funny, and it was funny too because at that point he had a squeaky clean image he was on home improvement um and like you know his show is very family oriented and yeah. everything but he swears up a storm on a stand-up act and i saw some people walking out <laughs> no that's funny yeah. wow. that's hilarious yeah, i was like okay i didn't know it was gonna get blue you know <laughs> <laughs> but you can kind of see it though right you can see that's i think what honestly somebody could take this and run with it master's thesis material right here mm-hmm the, the the reason Tim Allen was funny on Home Improvement and the Santa Claus is because we can see the blue comedian inside that's not allowed to come out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so the the the, uh, the rage kind of moments, yeah. like when his kid says, what did it feel like to go in the chimney? And he says, it felt like America's most wanted. Yeah. <laughs> is, is that blue comedian wanting to say, it fucking felt awful. Yeah. <laughs> you really know this movie well. My wife watches it. I think my, okay. Anyone judges me for this, I'll punch you in the face. My wife has probably watched this movie every day for the last week and a half. Oh, wow. Mm. Wow. wow! Now, granted, it has been playing on TV on some channel. Right. She has yet to put the DVD in. Um, but if she sees it, she watches it when she's flipping channels. Like, it'll supersede new episodes of her favorite shows if that, that shit is on. So, wow. I just, you know, I'm... Do you what remember you do? Santa Claus the movie? Oh yeah, oh yeah, Dudley Moore. I never. I don't remember it. anything about it, but I, I saw it. I don't either. I also remember it was PG. Yeah, I was like, why is that PG? Because at the time, I was like, you know, PG means that yeah, there's some there's some real shit in there. <laughs> yeah. Which actually in the 80s or the early 90s or whatever, this was could, 80s. You could have like titties and shit in there. Yeah, and and like <laughs> titties and shit. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like actual like well, profanity yeah, in there, famously done an airplane, an airplane too. Yeah. yeah, but still, man, remember that era? Like now, PG literally means you can show this to your like zygote, and it's not <laughs> going to offend. <laughs> yeah, right. Zygote. Like G might as well not even exist. Yeah, yeah exactly. though G is for now. G is for like Veggie Tales. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like that. Or yeah. that shit on like there's some crazy kids programming on Netflix too. Like just mm-hmm. some shit you've never heard of if you don't have like a two year old. But then you go and visit somebody who's got a two year old, and you're like. Like, 
what the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I just put that on. They watch that all day. Um, uh, one thing I did want to mention. You, yes. had, you, Jeremy had talked about how a few of my favorite things had become a Christmas song. Pissed me off. So I just watched The Sound of Music, I think last night, last night or the night before. Uh, and The Sound of Music is typically played around Christmas time. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it does have some Christmas overlap in some of the scenes, but it's it's set in Austria and Vienna, and it takes place over months, if not longer, right? Yeah, yeah. But it but it does have a very holiday feeling to it, and I came out away with it thinking like, wow, this kind of got me into the spirit for the holidays, even though it's not specifically a holiday. My movie. wife is trying to tell me this year that you've got mail is a Christmas movie. Hmm. Doesn't that happen over Christmas? You're dealing with the same thing, where Christmas occurs during the movie, but the movie takes place over like 10 months. Sleepless in Seattle does, for sure. Yeah, well, because New Year's is where she meets him at the top of the Empire State Building. What are your reasons, Chris, for the diehard determination? Okay, so first off, let's go with the the abstract. Mm -hmm. This is not a movie that you think of when it's time for the holidays like there's not the the usual tropes of of holiday movies in this mm-hmm. it's not families getting together it's not uh you know it's not getting gifts it's nothing of that sort it is set in christmas yes uh i i could i will argue that the creators of the the creators of this film and the and the and fox did not consider this a christmas film because they released it june 20th mm-hmm. 1988 um so it was a summer action film but they just happened to have christmas in it um there are just a lot of things in the movie that just don't vibe with all the other holiday movies that you've ever seen um especially since it's in la where there's no seasons or anything like yeah that. yeah which is that's a funny thing that's in annie hall to me is yeah. when he goes to california and there's all that you know there's the christmas music and the christmas <laughs> decorations and everything and it's just sunny and there's no snow or anything there's <laughs> something t-shirts. wrong about yeah. it you know it's um, like the beginning of almost famous is like that too because it's christmas time yeah in mm-hmm. the beginning of almost famous <laughs> but they're like driving in the sunny california yeah, yeah. yeah. um die hard Okay, here's here's my ultimate thing. I can play Die Hard any time of the year and not feel like I'm relegated to the holidays, mm-hmm. whereas a holiday movie mm-hmm. feels like I have to be around that time to watch it. If I had the inclination to watch Jingle All the Way, I would not watch it in April. Mm-hmm. Right. But I could watch Die Hard in April. Well, and I'll flip channels and see Elf in June showing on HBO, and I'm like, what the fuck are you even thinking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. This has got to be for, like, who? Yeah. yeah. Who yeah. is this for? <laughs> and so that's what I, that's I think that's what it comes down to. Does it does the movie feel odd watching it any other time than the holidays? Right. And if you watch it, if you watch anything that's a generally if I watch a Christmas story in August, what it's, the fuck is wrong with yeah, me? It feels weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it was, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. Yeah. Because it, I mean, yeah, I can, I can enjoy the movie on its own merits. It doesn't have to be Christmas to watch it and enjoy it, but there's, there's something missing to, yeah. to that. Um, I, that, that's the ultimate reason I came up with is that Die Hard is, is a, a year round movie. Whereas other, if you took the Christmas out of that movie. You'd still have the same. You'd movie. still have Die Hard. Yes, there they would could be, be getting yeah. together for anything. You won't have the, you know, now I have a machine gun. <laughs> ho, ho, ho! Yeah, 
Oh, you wouldn't have that. <laughs> you just have a funny, a different phrase. Yeah, you yeah, have a yeah, different yeah. phrase. Yeah, and in, with Alan Rickman saying it, it's going to be wonderful. Yes, it is. Um, this is the same reason, by the way, that I only watch Rosemary's Baby when it's sacrificing season. <laughs> yeah, right. Because if, if that's I my favorite it, season. <laughs> if I watch it in February, it just feels off. It's, it, it, who kills people know. in February? Right. <laughs> who, yeah. who does seance baby st- stuff during February? Look, I don't want to be associated with those kind of people. <laughs> Killing in February. It's like wearing white after Labor yeah, Day. Yeah, exactly. God, honestly, the, I was just watching Rosemary's Baby again the other day. And I think the creepiest thing in that entire movie is all the old, naked old people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And her dream. Yeah, yeah. Which oh, is yeah. not a dream. But, like, that's creepier than any of the actual creepy shit they yeah. try to show me. When I, I realized that all of those people are naked. Yeah. Just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you look down, you're like, oh. There um, it is. Are there any other Christmas movies you think we could we need to apply this test too let's call let's make up a name like the bechdel test this will be the, the chris christmas test <laughs> yeah we'll name it something and we apply this logic to a christmas movie is this a movie that you don't feel weird watching any other time of the year and i think that goes for a lot of the shane black movies that uh that jonathan was talking about earlier mm-hmm. like right. the kiss kiss bang bang and um long kiss goodnight and stuff like that those have christmas in them but they're not christmas movies right. i would watch those anytime iron man 3 would work just as well if it was easter or, or poorly <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> there, yeah there's there's nothing there's there's nothing in die hard that they can or can't do because it's christmas right uh, there's a couple of references like when the, they want to cut shut the power down and all that and like hey it's christmas well, they're gonna shut the power down anyway yeah yeah doesn't matter whether it's christmas or not um there's just that's the thing the the setting is fine it doesn't have anything if it was i i would almost argue if the movie had it was like set up where it was family and everything and he's john mcclain comes home to his to his wife and his kids and they're having a dinner and they're having, exchanging presents for 30 minutes and then it turns into an action movie it's still not a christmas movie <laughs> yeah, probably yeah, yeah. you know <laughs> well uh, it's weird something like eyes wide shut which i know i've talked about exhaustively is to me a very christmasy movie just because of all the the backdrops the colors uh the fact that it's it's referenced they're going out shopping and all that stuff mm-hmm but it's one of those movies I, I would watch, and I think you can watch um, at any point in the year yeah, and not really feel like it has to be that that uh, that season. Yeah, it doesn't require Christmas at all. You can set that anywhere. Whereas you can't set you can't you can't put the Santa Claus in any other. Nope. In a, Even you, though they try to, you can't they go through the whole year. Yeah, you can't take that. You can't take Christmas out of the Santa Claus. Right. You can take Christmas out of Die Hard. What about Love Actually? okay so i haven't seen love actually since it came out mm-hmm. have you still uh, not seen it i've still not seen it <laughs> standing firm um i don't know how much that matters in i mean there's there are some holiday things in it i remember yeah. but not it's not if if you were just to randomly say love actually would people just think christmas i think now i think now Do it really? has become what scrooged was maybe or something like that to our generation it's become like the go-to christmas movie like i used Mm. to when i was working at the lab the the women that were working on my staff were all like 20 something women Mm -hmm. mostly almost all of them and they would they would get together and watch love actually and i was like oh because it had been since the theater since i had seen love actually too Mm. and i was like why are you watching that now and they're like oh it's like a christmas classic and i'm like 
Oh yeah, I guess there is Christmas in there. Man, I so yeah, I I may have mentioned this before. Love actually, I've only seen the movie one time, but it conjures the same horror story that from dust till dawn does for me <laughs> because it had one of the worst movie disasters i've ever had as a projectionist uh and it was a sneak preview before the movie came out uh, all that and you know especially at that theater which had a lot of static problems and stuff like that uh it was one of those where it must have happened like just I mean, like this disaster must have happened either slowly and just nobody, nobody could, nobody saw it happen happening because hmm. it was like that projector was like right next to us. We uh -huh. I didn't hear anything weird or anything like that, but like, uh, did it get tangled? Yeah, I got it. That's one of those where it was spaghetti. Mm. Once it got, once it, once it brought the film through, the, once it brought like two layers of film through the brain and like it started doing and it threw off the platter and all that that's that's just a it's a it's an it's, it flew off the platter chris got out of his seat to see what was the matter <laughs> yeah yeah exactly it was uh, yes it took forever to fix it and um and it was i think it was also a thursday night where we had a whole bunch of other shit going on mm. too um so it took forever to fix it and there was like actually a couple people who fucking waited for it like it was hours later oh shit they really wanted they to watch was, love yeah, actually wanted, it was wow. like towards the end colin firth is expressing his love in <laughs> portuguese and like you know <laughs> yeah. and he's mispronouncing it and all that <laughs> i don't know what any of that means and i hope i never do <laughs> yeah um but uh that that scene was going on it's towards the end you always get a you always had a weird thing uh as a as a projectionist or a movie worker during a sneak preview because everybody in that theater did not pay any money to yeah. see this but when it fucks up it's the same sort of oh shit you know yeah, everybody yeah. gets mad and <laughs> yeah. all that so it's, it's really you realize that it's never really about the money it's right. just about that it, it fucked up it's my time yep. i want my time back um and uh but yeah that's what that movie conjures for me most of the time i will have to watch it again uh i just i didn't realize that it had been uh it's been canonized at this point christmas co-opted well and also i mean we watched a preview at the the bell court like the prestige theater over yeah. here where they're they're doing a re-release of it theatrically at least there and then you go back through and you see how many fucking people there were in this thing. Laura, Lenny, Colin Firth, Hugh Grant, Alan Rickman, Emma Thompson, uh, Andrew Lincoln, Kira Knightley, like all these. I mean, just Liam Neeson's like yeah. just fucking everybody is in this movie. And it doesn't feel like a Valentine's Day type of thing where they're cutting away too quickly. Mm -hmm. It feels like everybody's got, got their own story so the ultimate judge of whether love actually is a christmas movie is take christmas out does it become a different movie yeah i think you possibly can it's it's pretty intricately tied into it because there's no plot points that specifically revolve around christmas but it's such a, a backdrop and it's such a setting that i think it's it's right on the line i could probably watch this in april and be fine yeah 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 um but i think it's better to watch it around this season i think mm -hmm. it enhances it a little bit more yeah and you should just just stop it just drop it and watch it and you will you will Why? be you will because it's a good movie says, and i think you'll like it says who says me uh, i don't trust and you. the 20 year olds that used to work for me. <laughs>
Yes. Well, yeah. I think it's interesting. I think something like Office Christmas Party could actually work fine as a non-Christmas movie, even though it's literally got the word Christmas in the title. Mm-hmm. You just find another excuse for an office party, and everything else that happens in that movie yeah. works yeah. fine. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not the the giant inflatable snowman dance it would be sumo wrestling dancing <laughs> right but like that movie is not dependent on christmas at all mm. i like this i like this i'm gonna go home i'm gonna be applying this test to movies all day i like it yeah, yeah there, I, I think i think ultimately there are two rules i gave you two minor ones but the two rules are do i feel weird watching this any other time of year if you took christmas out would it still be the same movie mm-hmm. there's the two criteria i like it do we want to get into our recommends and warns yeah i want to Totes amaze balls. They're great. It won the Academy Award. Oh, for what? For best movie ever made. Yeah, it'll be fun. Mm, yeah. This is going to be tough. Uh-huh. Uh, you want to go first? Oh. No? Oh. I saw Roma. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. That would be the only thing I would recommend at this point in my life. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> Just in general. <laughs> I have seen it three times now. Three times. And... I am nervous to have this conversation because I know you did not enjoy it quite as much as I did and might not even have liked it much at all. Okay. Well, I, I'll, I'll just kind of run with that. It is an excellent movie. Okay. It good. is an excellent movie. I can recognize that. It's perfectly shot. I wish I had seen it on a big screen. Hmm. It's expertly shot. It's gorgeous. The performances are amazing, especially the the lead woman, mm-hmm. uh, who I don't think even had a history of acting professionally at least, Mm-mm. and had to be talked into like the audition for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are certain scenes, two in particular that I'm thinking about, that blew me away. Mm-hmm. Uh, one happening at the beach, and one happening in a forest. Mm-hmm. Um, that that brought to mind almost Children of Men type of mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. cinematography, and he did the cinematography, Alfonso Cuarón. He did everything. Yeah, he did. He wrote it. He was a cinematographer. He directed it. He was the producer, um, and he edited it. Yeah. My my main question after this movie was done, which I recognize as being excellent, was what happened in this movie. Well, and, see, and I think that may be the point that he's going after. This I'm, is a slice of life movie. This is a a personal retelling of a lot of my background. It it, it just isn't going to have the the motion the motion not the emotion that really would make me want to come back and watch it three times part of the reason i said in my tweet have you seen it feel free to jump in anytime uh that it was not like any movie i'd ever seen before is what you're talking about in that the the, the, plot seems almost secondary yes to quaron in this movie um and uh, i actually thought you were going to say something about the spinning camera Uh, because i that was the only thing i could see maybe distracting some people Mm -hmm. into not really being able to get involved in the world um because he does it a lot uh what do you mean by spinning camera um i mean where the camera starts out in the middle of a room and just slowly spins to its like a security camera type of thing it has that style of movement yeah i've noticed i noticed that he did this in every scene not involving uh the main character and what is her name again the the character's name uh her name is uh cleo is cleo cleo yeah, yeah. and it's yalitza aparicio yeah is the uh the actress's name every time that uh it didn't directly involve her that's where you got that 
that camera shot where it was just like we're an observer watching families do their thing and all that once it gets to her the camera starts getting a little bit closer up and everything uh i i appreciate that kind of uh, technical style and everything i thought that was cool i also brought up to barrett earlier that i believe the youngest son in that family predicts the future at least twice maybe more uh or or at least uh foreshadows it mm-hmm. uh especially when uh when uh cleo come shows up pregnant and she talks to the mom mm-hmm. and and uh, she and then like the son comes in and says what's wrong and she says he's got a tummy ache mm-hmm. and he goes over there and says tummy ache go away go yeah. away and all that and uh and so like there's another part too where he's talking about drowning and mm-hmm. and then there's a, I haven't I haven't gone back to watch and and to try to prove this theory but like uh it seems like he's very prescient in everything that he does and it or at least foreshadows yeah. a lot of things. So I enjoy that too. There's a lot of things to enjoy about the movie, but I'm with Barrett on this one and it's weird. Lost in Translation has no fucking plot and I love Lost in Translation. Yeah. I don't know what's the difference. What is the difference here between Lost in Translation and Roma as far as nothing happening in a movie? Because of the, with Lost in Translation, I don't think there's an easy answer to that, but I feel like because they they distilled the story to two main characters and their relationship in Lost in Translation, that the ennui doesn't take the the lead role, basically. A little basically. bit more conversation to yeah. sink your teeth into in that um but uh i i i agree there's so many great things about it Mm -hmm. that's why it's kind of it's almost kind of a downer that very little we know that the backdrop is some sort of revolution that's happening and and it's debatable as to whether that movie would have been a better movie um because i don't you know and i i I already like get uh oh another revolution movie huh okay what was the problem back then yeah it's interesting i kind of like that they they set that as the backdrop um that it's just another part of this story that we're telling like the guy koran just grows up and this was part of the the stuff that he encountered in daily life if they go down to the store or something like that but he wasn't mired in there he wasn't like you know super involved with the ins and outs of the revolution because i guess he was too young at that point but that that uh, revolution scene actually or that riot scene is is another one of my favorites and definitely evokes children of men yeah. type of vibes that was the scene where i realized the audio was the most impressive thing about this movie to yeah me. that is great because i feel like he put the amount of thought into the audio and and how it pairs with the camera when it spins because there's they're they're in that department store before the riot and we see the street mm-hmm. and it goes back around and we start to hear the roar before we really see what's going on um and because he's moving that camera so slowly <laughs> like it frustrated my wife a few times because she wanted she wanted it to get there yeah, and show like her what she's, she's looking at to- whereas i was able to appreciate the tension he was trying to build um and the audio was really selling it um i i get it i get it this movie i think i told dicer on twitter i feel like this movie could change the world if everybody watched it oh yeah my takeaway from this movie was was the scene that stands out to me is the one where she takes him on this vacation and tells him their dad's not ever coming home oh yeah and then gives him ice cream yeah (laughs) i turned to my wife and i said 
I think she could have handled that a little better. (laughs) (laughs) And they're sitting outside on this fountain edge, eating their ice cream. Their worlds are shattered. And literally right next to them is a couple that's just gotten married. A huge wedding party (laughs) celebrating music and singing. That, to me, is the movie's message, is that there are, are you, do you have a tragedy? Great. Somebody has to clean up shit the next door down. Are you super joyful right now? Well, somebody's dad just left him. Mm -hmm. Like, life is all around us. And because I don't expose myself to it, it doesn't impact me. Mm -hmm. So So the world becomes what I see it as and how I feel about it. And so the movie for me made me start seeing myself as insignificant. Hmm. My joys as less important. My sorrows as less important, at least as compared to the rest of my fellow man. Um, I have had moments since this movie where I got frustrated or upset about something, thought about the movie, and then got less frustrated Hmm. and realized, you know what? In the grand scheme of things... But this, that's I think that's what the movie is. It's it's life. That's why it has no plot. It's because very Buddhist. Life is both tragic and joyous for all of us. Hmm. And none of us escapes that. Interesting. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and men are dicks, too, by the way. Mm-hmm. They, no, no men in this movie come off. The older brother is so... The older brother kills me. The, the movie nails that age when you hate all your siblings because like he doesn't want to share his candy and the grandma makes him share the candy with the sister. And when he tosses it to her, he says, here, get fat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I just was like, like I saw it's such a throwaway line. Yeah. And I saw, it's, it's so, it's so crazy to me how much of myself I was able to see in those kids mm. Considering how completely removed my life and upbringing was from this, you know, this film, right? Mm. I didn't grow up in Mexico. (laughs) I didn't grow up in a household where we had housekeepers or nannies. I was not raised by a nanny or a housekeeper. You know, you would think it would be a very hard movie to relate to. And I think that's why I think it's so magical Mm. is that it ultimately became incredibly easy for me to relate to. Uh, because at the end, when you strip away the culture, when you strip away the revolution, when you strip away the language we're speaking, we all have the same ups and downs. Yeah. Sads and happies. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that is my full on dick hard recommend. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is. I've, I've come close a couple times. I'm not there yet, but I'm almost ready to say it's my favorite movie I've seen in 10 years. <sighs> what are we missing, Chris? Because I don't know that you're missing it's anything. Not like, it's not like. You know, you're on an island. Like I think, I feel like I am on an island, yeah, or we're on an island. I feel like we're in the minority. Leonard Maltin is raving about this movie. All the critics. What we, we were talking earlier, it's got like an average of nine point one or something yep. like that on Rotten Tomatoes. Eight point five on IMDb. There's something I'm to be missing. Something. something to be said though for a movie that is as technically brilliant as this. Yeah, oh, I, I, think I recognize that it's a. Gorgeous. It's important to point Excellent out you movie. guys aren't saying it's bad. Right, you guys right, right. aren't saying mm. you didn't like it. Yeah. You guys are saying you didn't like it quite as much as everybody else yes. did. Uh, this is how I felt about Infinity War, by the way, yeah. because people seem to think that I hated that movie when I was like, no, I just didn't. I didn't want to. I just didn't want to have sex with it. Yeah, <laughs> I liked yeah. it. I still want to take it on a date. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's definitely worth seeing. I probably it suffered a little bit from expectations from me because uh, Alfonso Cuaron, I think, has hit home runs 
almost everything he's done between Itumama Tambien and I think Great Expectations and uh, and the Harry Potter movie and Gravity and Children of Men. Like I, he, he's just he's top of the line, top well, top of the I line. I think he's yeah. And I, again, I've had a lot of conversations with Dicer about this privately um, on Twitter. I think he's Hitchcock. We just don't we won't know it for another 20 years like he has yeah and again dicer has this game he plays called the hitchcock game where how many directors can you name that have five great movies in a row and it's almost impossible rob reiner's like the only one we came up with but coron would be pretty close now with e2 mama tambien and prisoner of azkaban mm-hmm. was after that oh it's probably borderline great and good yeah I think it's one of the better Potter movies. Oh, yeah, definitely. And then Children of Men in there, Gravity, mm-hmm. and now this. Yeah. Actually, Azkaban almost had to come after E2 Mama Tambien. Yeah, because Great Expectations was before E2 Mama Tambien. Okay, so, yeah, E2 Mama Tambien, then Azkaban, uh, then Children of Men, then Gravity, and then Roma. Yeah. yeah. So no, I think, I think you're right. Uh, even though I didn't like this as much as... I think any of those movies. I think I like this better than Eat to Mama Tambien, even though I love that too. Just the, I um, mean, the balls on the guy going, this is the vision I have. Mm-hmm. No one's going to understand it until it's all the way done, but I know I'm on the right track. So let's do this. Let's shoot in black and white. Yeah. Let's do the spinning camera. Let's shoot in all foreign language. <sighs> it may be something that I come back to and realize all the little things and how it all works together. Like, you know, pulling the car in, that enormous car to that uh, tiny little garage. Like, mm-hmm. there's got to be some sort of subtext there. It could be like a Kubrick film or something like that, that it takes multiple viewings to kind of sure. untangle all that sure. stuff. Sure. Yeah. And there's stuff with the, the dog that I think probably means more than I'm catching. There's dogs every fucking where in this. Uh, and there's fucking, there's fucking geese in the middle of the street. That yeah. one scene where there's yeah. just like two ducks going at it. I yeah. actually said to my wife, they're fucking the the airplanes i think i've got figured out but there's a lot of a very intentional airplane overhead imagery. yes Uh, what is what is my take at this point is just that it's another subtle visual reminder that it's just another day like Mm. whatever you're going through right now to somebody else it's just another day it's Mm. it may be the most tragic thing you've ever experienced it may be your wedding day the guy next next door to you it's just wednesday Mm -hmm. just the planes are still going overhead that was my take i actually said earlier in the movie i'm gonna i'm never gonna know what those damn planes mean until i get in a room with this motherfucker (laughs) (laughs) because for a while it baffled me but once i kind of came around to my understanding of what i think he was trying to say with the whole film the planes kind of fit into there that's interesting anyway this is something that i'll watch again yeah and you know there's gonna be there all there'll be all sorts of like little symbols and stuff like that i mean the car thing is a funny thing to watch mm-hmm. when the dude's trying to park his car it ultimately just means he doesn't fit here right and yeah you know i mean it's just uh that's as you, know, you have that that's as, as basic as it gets but then you get some more stuff as you get further well and on. then when sh- drunk mom tries to park the car she <laughs> doesn't care if he yeah, fits there she's anymore exactly. everything <laughs> and decides to sell it and get another one um but yeah, uh, you guys I, got recommends. Uh, yeah, what do you got? So I watched a couple of Buster Keaton uh, movies oh. uh, over the weekend, and um, I had seen The General twenty years or so ago. I really, I really enjoyed uh, going back to it and watching it. Uh, Buster Keaton, much like Chaplin, just you know was perfect for this era, the silent era. Uh, could express so much without over or anything like that the general is um uh 
basically it's a it's it's set during civil war times and uh and buster keaton's character is told by his girlfriend you need you need to join or else i'm leaving you you need Hmm. to join the confederate army or else i'm leaving you it's an odd thing about the general the confederate army is the protagonist Hmm. in this and apparently this is something that was based on i guess somewhat of a true story i don't i haven't looked into that uh but um uh he's a he's a train engineer and like the the reason why they don't let him be a a soldier is they feel like he's more valuable as a train engineer like they they know he'll 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 do his best work while still on the tracks and uh so while he's uh he's trying to figure out what is it because his girlfriend gives him the ultimatum he's like you didn't even stand in line he does stand in line there's a big whole funny thing with him trying to stand in line and try to get into the army and they Mm. won't let him in and then he then there's a point where uh a guy in front of in the front of the line isn't even looking and the and the clerk is like handing out like a a a pass to go into the army or whatever he goes over and steals it and Mm -hmm. tries to run away but um He's trying to figure his girlfriend gives him the ultimatum. Don't ever come back to me until I see you in uniform and all that. Un, uh, fortunately for him in the plot, she's on the train when the Union Army comes in and steals hmm. uh, a train. And they have this plan that they're going to come in and they're going to they're going to flank the Confederate soldiers and all of this. They're going to win. You know, they're going to have this surprise battle and everything. And he gets wind of it. So, like, it's a chase scene all the way through chase him chasing them. And then, like, all the different little mechanics of what they can do with trains and, like, taking thing, taking cars out and putting, like, stuff to block the tracks and hmm. all this huh. stuff they keep doing. And at first, they think it's the whole Confederate army coming after them. <laughs> and then they realize it's just him. So then it becomes a chase scene coming back the other way. Oh, wow. And Buster Keaton is, is fucking great. And there's a... There's a scene in there. It's a famous shot of... Because uh, they did everything real back then of a train going over tracks and just the tracks just collapsing and the train coming down into the water mm. and everything. Um, very short hour and seven minutes. Uh, excellent, excellent, excellent movie. If you want to see some real, like amazing physical comedy and everything and fit and this one, not as much of a comedy as you'd think, maybe more of an action film than a comedy, but it's got a lot of comedy elements in it. Um, uh, if you want to dip back back into the silent era, watch the general. It's really good. His other one, Sherlock Jr., just as good. Hmm. Um, he's a film projectionist. No, oh, nice. Who is reading a book on how to be a detective, and uh, and so like he uh, wants to buy something for his girl. He buys it uh, somehow, some way. There's like uh, there's been pearls that have been snatched, and he's blamed for it and um and so like most of the movie is sort of him dreaming of a scenario of where he um uh he he's making his own movie essentially about where he's the hero and he's the one that's on the case and he's and so like uh the very beginning of this movie uh it's it's him trying to woo this this one girl and there's another guy who's trying to steal her from him and he's the guy who's actually stolen the pearls or whatever oh. or he may he at least imagines that he's the guy who stole the pearls but uh very beginning he's accused of it and so and so uh, they're like we don't want you in this house ever again and all that so he's like a he's he's at his job doing running a movie or whatever and he start he just falls asleep and uh, he starts imagining himself walking into 
the movie screen and being in the movie itself mm. and there's a great just tour de force type of thing where the scenes are changing up on the up up on the screen and it's it, like he'll be on a rock and he'll be about to fall off the rock and then it'll change and then there'll be like he'll be in the middle of two lions oh, or whatever wow. and it's all it all looks just amazing like you think about it like this is like in the 20s when this movie was made uh it's it's hard to it's hard to imagine like how like hard that must have been yeah. back then to do to pull that off and i think i think it's it's basically a stage but it makes it look like it's an actual movie hmm. screen and everything <laughs> um so yeah the whole thing is him trying to figure out this thing trying to solve the solve this pearls mystery or whatever by the end of it obviously it's very happy or whatever yeah. 45 minutes Ooh. uh just you know you can watch both of those movies in the amount of time it takes you to watch braveheart yeah <laughs> uh did you did this come on tv or did you break up in like a uh i have a a, a monthly thing that i go to um there's a bunch of friends who like pick movies it was my week oh my month this this month and i picked these two two movies oh cool it, it's i i've seen a lot of charlie chaplin movies i don't feel like i've seen enough buster keaton i haven't either and i've seen the general before but i had forgotten a lot of it so i got got a little refresher on that and then saw one i've never seen before and uh guy guy we were with also suggested one of the shorts i watched one of the shorts called cops hmm. so uh so really good all those were really good stuff uh don't get a chance to dip down into the silent films very often and those were all, those are all excellent Awesome. i would recommend buster keaton versus charlie chaplin yeah i haven't seen enough to really say isn't there like the another other. one that like we don't none of us give the right credit to who was like it's like the three tenders the other guy <laughs> i'm serious I, I am being serious when i say i think there was another one that like it's almost like the paul revere thing where uh -huh. chaplin and keaton ended up getting all the glory for being those early pratt falls island film guys but there was a third who was arguably as good or better that we just forgot about hmm. yeah no. i don't know i actually i can't remember i i i uh i think you might be right but i anyway. don't remember who it is don't trust me i've definitely <laughs> i've definitely been wrong before i'll look for it the there's a there's a certain the reason why those guys were such stars is that they were able to do their thing you know obviously without with that without the um the aid of audio like it's uh, and and it's a it's a lost art um you there's not very there's not very like you you try to do the same joke in a in a sound picture you know mm -hmm. the talkies you try to do you try to do the same sort of jokes and i don't think they're they're plotted as well because they're not thinking about doing it without audio and everything yeah, yeah. and um there's a there, here's an example uh at the beginning of sherlock jr he's um his manager sees him reading this uh how to be a detective book or whatever and tells him you know uh fucking do your job and, and uh, <laughs> the title, the, card title. Comes up. we were we were making we were making jokes about that by the way like there's scenes in the general where it would be funny if the inner title came up and it said fuck <laughs> uh, and uh and uh but uh he's like do your job and he's like okay he's got this pile of trash that's in behind the, the theater and so he's sweeping it out and uh and so he sweeps it out on the to the uh the the front of the building and he's he's uh got he's found like he goes over there's a store that he wants to buy this gift for his girlfriend and one of them is like a dollar and one of them is like three dollars 
and he's only got three dollars so he's trying to figure out what which one is he gonna get and all that so he he uh he's he thinks about it he goes back to his pile of trash somebody comes over and uh and and uh, there's an little intertitle that says you know i lost a dollar and it's like this pretty girl and everything and he's like he's like he's like he's got three dollars he's thinking and he's like what does it look like and so the girl like girl goes through all this like you know stuff like it was about this size and all that and he ends up giving her a dollar and everything and then some other woman comes up and says i lost a dollar and so he's like okay and eventually he gives he gives her a dollar then a guy shows up and uh and uh and he's like fuck it i'll just go ahead and give this guy my dollar and the guy's like no 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 guy goes through the trash and everything and he pulls out like this wad of like hundreds or something like that <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and then, like this is after two women have gone through looking for one dollar and everything and guy comes in and finds this wad of great. the guy i'm thinking of is harold lloyd ah. uh, who made 200 films and he's most famous for the film where he's seen hanging from clock hands on a clock tower oh, above yeah, a city yeah. street oh okay. but it was staged it wasn't he wasn't really dangling um you've probably seen that image yeah yeah uh but that was the guy i was thinking of for anybody interesting who's so i saw spider-man into the spider-verse mm-hmm. your Last theater week. fucked you up huh huh you, you said in the email that the theater messed up your presentation i think have you seen this nope mm. you haven't seen it right no okay so i can't tell what was intentional and what was not and and there's a couple of things that I I knew were intentional. So there's it's it's super hyper stylized in the in the it wants to look like a comic book. So there are times where there'll be blue and red outlines on the outside of the characters intentionally. Mm-hmm. That being said, it looks like it could have been made for a 3D showing. So I was worried that I was in a 3D print, but nobody else had had glasses on. So I was like, all right, that's fine. That that part was fine. The middle of the screen was almost always sharp and clear, but there were several times during this movie where the background was super blurry. Hmm. Again, that may be a stylized choice, but it was it was it was distracting. Um, if I know for sure that that's what they intended to do, and I watch this again, I'll probably love it more because I love this movie. Sure, but there was something visually off, and if it were intentional, then I don't know if I agree with it, but the other stuff in here is just spectacular. Mm-hmm. What what I enjoyed about this movie was less so the visuals. The visuals are fine. They have some like Scott Pilgrim esque type of thing where they'll do like a dialogue as he's falling down, oh, like cool. a, ah or something like that. Um, and there'll be like thought bubbles over their heads sometimes. Um, but the 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 story and the voice talent is the reason to go see this movie, I think, mm. because the story is spectacular. Mm. Um, not only how they justify how they get all these people, uh, these different versions of Spider-Mans uh, from the different universe to come to, to this one, but also the character development for Miles Morales, um, the character development for the parents. Um, the humor in this is fucking on point. Mm-hmm. Um, and the villain is one of the better villains that I've seen mm. in forever. Now I haven't watched all of Daredevil, but uh, Kingpin is is in Daredevil, mm-hmm. right? And he's Vincent D'Onofrio plays him. Yep. The Kingpin in in this movie is a very comic book 
version of Kingpin. He fills the entire frame. Mm. Like it's a it's a tiny head. You've probably seen it from the comics. Mm-hmm. A tiny head with a ginormous body. Yeah. And but it plays to such dramatic effect that it works super super well. Mm. Um, Lily Tomlin as Aunt May is a fucking badass. Haley Steinfeld as Spider Gwen or Gwen um, is is delightful. One of the scene stealingest maybe steals the movie is the noir Spider-Man who's voiced by Nicolas Cage. Mm -hmm. And it's fucking hilarious. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely amazing. Not to mention John Mulaney as Spider-Ham is, is really good too, but you know, that's a character that you could see kind of trying to steal it. Right. The noir one is, is so far out of left field. It's great. This is so high on my list and I still, I'm, I'm, don't take this the wrong way, Patreon fans and members, but I'm bummed that I have to see Bumblebee before I can see this movie because <laughs> we have to do a, a mini pod. Of yeah, Bumblebee. yeah, that's right, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, uh-huh. uh, but this is right up there. I, if I had to choose, this would be the next movie I saw. Uh, and and again, I I keep harp, harping on this uh, this visual thing, but it was so distracting. Uh, if if I either just reconcile that in my brain that that was an intentional choice, or if something was fucked up in my theater and. I see a clearer version because I haven't seen people referring to the blurriness my, in, in particular. My mm-hmm. my guess is that it was fucked up by your theater. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been to that theater uh-huh. and I don't think they know what they're doing there. Okay. Um, in fact, I have to always like think: Do I really want to deal with this theater when I go to a <laughs> yeah, movie? Yeah, yeah. Um, they, I've never seen it that about, that bad before. I know um, that we've had our issues, but uh, that that blurriness that you're talking about could be a couple of things. First off, having seen the trailer for Into the Spider Verse, I don't remember seeing any stylized blurry things in that. Right. Um, that's the first clue. Is you if that was something that was, if you saw that in every scene, not every scene, and that's that's again. Mm. Whereas I, I could talk myself into it being an aesthetic choice. But, uh, you know, usually, I mean, it sounds like there's a couple of things. One, either you had, uh, you know, a lens with uh, some lens either like misplaced in the projector or you had uh, you had uh, 3D polarizers that were still on the projector mm. when the mo- movie was running, which is something that not only blurs things, but it also takes away a lot of your light. Mm. Uh, but if you didn't notice any light issue, then it probably wasn't polarizers. But my guess is that that theater fucked you. I see. I see. Well, despite that, everything is awesome. Yeah, about it's still your movie. recommend. That says a lot. I oh, think. it's it's fantastic. I mean, this is this is a whole universe that I could have spent. Even though it's it's on the long side of a like an animated movie, I could have spent more time in. In fact, I think Leonard Malton actually said that. The, the the length was a bit of an issue for him. Mm-hmm. I I love this stuff, man, and and the fact that you can you can get all these other uh, Spider Men in there, and the way that they interact. There's one scene where they they uh, they're trying to hide from his roommate, Miles's roommate, and uh, <laughs> I won't spoil any of the jokes that happen there, but it's just drawn and executed perfectly. There, it's maybe in the trailer actually. They're up on the ceiling, yeah. uh, all together and like moving at the same time when he moves, and it's just it's perfect. It's mm. absolutely perfect. So I, this has my highest recommend. Mm. Absolutely awesome, awesome. Yeah, um, is that also did very well too. I wasn't expecting it too. That's uh, very cool. I uh, I was I was pretty on record as thinking this was not, not maybe not bomb, but 
it wasn't going to do what they would hope it would do. Now, $35 million domestically is amazing. Mm-hmm. It will be interesting to see how it plays once Aquaman and uh, and uh, Bumblebee both open. Mm-hmm. Um, so it still has like that, you know, still has a chance where it's like, but, you know, it's coming. It's Christmas. Christmas movies always get the buoy, man. Mm. Doesn't matter how bad it is. Like, I remember everybody saying... And I, and I like this movie. I remember Valkyrie coming out around mm-hmm. Christmas and it was not considered that big of a hit. Um, it was like, uh, you know, it, but it, I think it just basically played through Christmas. Like it, it ended up making like a decent amount, hmm. not a huge hit, but that Christmas thing, man, it just buoys. You gotta find a way to, and, and plus this is rated PG, which is interesting. I felt less reservation taking the kid to it. And he loved it by the way. Um, there is a, like some heavy themes in this, like this, this thing gets gets real, mm. uh, both with uh, say, particularly with Miles's family. What a cool background this kid has, man! Like he's he's super charismatic. He he's really popular in the neighborhood. He goes to a charter school. His dad's a cop, played by David Tyree Henry. Mm-hmm. Um, his uncle is Mahershala Ali, and just voiced to perfection. Uh, his background is yada yada in a good way. Like he's got hispanic roots and and african-american roots <clears throat> that doesn't really affect his character or the way other people perceive his character. Yeah, i read an article that they intentionally didn't give subtitles for the spanish speaking because they wanted it to be immersive like right. his real life would be yeah um and they thought subtitles when he switched to spanish would pull you out of it more than just showing you that bilingual people slip in and out of mm-hmm. the languages uh, pretty regularly and not necessarily with with reason yeah uh anyway so yeah i'm very 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 excited that's Glad very you cool. liked it. it's very cool well how about some warns do we have any warns i really only just came prepared to talk about my infinity war theory okay oh, so yeah. I've, got, I've got a wreck of warn and this is a stupid wreck of warn and i realized that okay because i would never warn someone not to watch avengers at infinity war mm-hmm. it is a very good movie it is a spectacular spectacle nice uh it it has it has everything. It's <laughs> yeah. got Abe Vigoda. Like it's it's got all of your favorite superheroes. It's got you know hero shots galore. It's got amazing action, including throwing a fucking moon. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, it, there are you can see there's like nice witty banter and all that stuff in there. But there's I I, I felt a twinge of this when I watched it the first time, and it. I honestly took me forever to see this again. Mm. Uh, but when I watched it again, now I've seen it about two or three times since. This movie has too much going on in it. And it's got, it's it's too much. It's not like just enough and like, you know, all right, we cram this in there and that kind of thing. Because I think something like X-Men, the first X-Men movie, had a lot going on with it, but was able to deftly maneuver that. Ain't, same thing with uh, First Class, probably. This one is just over overworked. There's no reason necessarily for Black Panther to be in here. Shuri is just, you know, a passing thought as this goes along. Um, you know, I the, the Guardians are, are play kind of just an insignificant role in this. Like, there's just little things in this where if you pared it down to a, to a more focused story, I know that's not the point of a movie like this. The point is the excess. But I it loses me. Because of it, mm-hmm. it's too overstuffed, and we've talked about this off mic because the video hadn't come out yet. But I don't buy the relationships that are that the story hinges on, particularly Thanos 
and uh, Gamora. Mm -hmm. I don't buy that for one fucking second because there's nothing in these movies that has indicated to me that that is a possibility. He loves her so much that this is the only way. It's not like the Soul Stone can can buy an act. You know, like oh well, uh, he he looked like he was pretty good. It it knows your soul. It 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 realizes that this is an actual sacrifice. He kills people all the time. Like I'm not buying it. There's a whole lot of motivation problems for me. Um, what's funny is what's funny is the more I watch the movie, the more, I think I like it a little more. Oh really? Small increments, but it's I'm having the, the opposite reaction of you. <laughs> but I I found when we were doing the sins, I found a lot of questions about motivations like the the very fact that he would ever stop and bend a knee to talk to gamora little what girl gamora war is going on? in the first place is as we said in the video a big pill to swallow because he wouldn't um and then when he would call her oh you're quite the fighter gamora. <laughs> yeah. what? and then him him loving her is never really bought the biggest problem i have is that star lord and gamora and scarlet witch and visions relationships have blossomed entirely off screen yep like, I don't think at the end of Guardians 2, Gamora and Star-Lord are 100% a couple. No, they just kiss, right? Don't yeah. they kiss? And now in not... hearing the next time we see them, she, they're having this lover's, I need you to kill me Yeah, if he ever gets to me. And then she betrays her own wisdom when she charges Thanos later. Yeah. Just well, motivations. That's the... the, the the biggest problem with the film is that the motivations get played with to get us to the key scenes. For me, thankfully, the key scenes are visual spectacle enough. I can largely overlook it. Like I wrote some shit about how this is the second MCU movie in a row where our big final battle is happening in Wakanda. And that's a little repetitive. Right. right. Uh, but that's probably not I'm worthy of sinning in the sins video. But, it's, you know, again, the. This happens with every movie. The more you watch it, the cracks start to show. Sometimes there aren't very many cracks, and so your love grows and grows and grows and grows and grows, like the Martian. <laughs> um, and sometimes there are there are cracks that start to gnaw on you. I think the movie, in hindsight, in Jeremy's perfect world, two or three films before this, we could have gotten a standalone Thanos. I don't and, know if I would want to watch an entire... I don't know. The, the way that they their track record... I, I, I think it like probably would have been really good. They gave us two movies in one here. We get a Thanos origin story explanation thing, and we get the major conflict. And I feel like they both kind of suffer for it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, I got theories on this next one. All right. Lay it on me. All right. This all, there's only so much I'm willing to go on record with. You've seen the trailer, obviously, for I've Endgame, seen, Yes, right? and this is sort of... Actually, no, my idea doesn't hinge on the trailer, but my idea does hinge on on one set of photographs that were taken on set of the filming of the fourth movie okay they were famous they've been everywhere if you don't know about them you live in a cave <laughs> but you may want to stop listening for a few minutes because i don't <laughs> want to spoil anything for you here's here's my initial posit is that what if red skull's appearance in infinity war wasn't as random a callback to a previous villain as we were led to believe all right i feel like we've all sort of taken that as an ah Huh, Red Skull. I guess they needed somebody to be in charge of that soul stone. Mm. Nice to see him back. That guy sure does a good Hugo Weaving impression. <laughs> and we moved on. Most of us were even kind of charmed by that. But I'm obsessed with the idea that when he grabbed the Tesseract and got sent to that place, the only other person in the room is Captain America. This takes place at the end of the first Avenger. Mm -hmm. Because of Ant-Man in the quantum realm and because of Doctor Strange and the Time Stone, I think 
it's very safe to assume time travel is going to be involved in some manner or fashion. Sure. I suggest it's either direct time travel or alternate timeline time travel. But I think Ant-Man is going to take the crew back to try and right some wrongs. And I think what they're going to be trying to do is get the stones before Thanos can get to them. Oh, hang on, hang on. Let me stop you there. Can Ant-Man, using the quantum realm, can he travel through time? Can and... Yeah, I'm almost positive he can. How the hell did that woman come out of it without being 500 years old? Michelle Pfeiffer? Yeah. Yeah, So, I mean, is it a a conduit to travel through time or does it suspend time? Either way. I honestly don't know. I believe Ant-Man is going to take Cap and the gang back to beats we've seen before. Okay. This comes into the set photos where we've seen... Ant-Man, Captain America, and a few others on a recreated set from the end of the Avengers Battle of New York, Mm -hmm. which we know Ant-Man wasn't actually there for. And in these photos, apparently Captain America's suit is a little different. Mm. That's why I suggest maybe alternate timelines might be involved. Mm. But all of the other stones but the Soul Stone have made an appearance in a previous MCU film. Mm -hmm. And all of our heroes that are still alive have been close enough to maybe grab one. When Thor the Dark World, we had the reality stone. The ether, whatever the fuck it was. Yeah. <laughs> um, there are a couple in, well, there's Guardians of the Galaxy has the purple stone. It's the power stone, I believe. Mm-hmm. Rocket's still alive. So I think what we're going to see here is a series of heroic acts, a couple of which will be sacrificial, trying to get these stones. And I think Cap's final sacrifice is going to be realizing he needs to take Red Skull's place. He grabs oh. the Tesseract and either becomes the keeper of the stone at Vormir and no one ever knows he made the sacrifice, which would be very, very cap. Or he's worthy, and instead of getting banished to the Soul Stone, he's able to wield the Tesseract Stone. Oh. And then, I don't know how this is going to work, because if it's just straight time travel, you got a paradox out the ass here. But what I see happening, and I, until I see the movie, you will not be able to convince me this won't happen, is I see Thor again axing thanos in the chest and thanos saying you should have aimed for the head and going to snap only now his gauntlet is gone the stones are gone and that is the moment they've popped back after this time adventure and i think either ant-man or tony i don't know why is going to be wielding the glove and they're going to say something quippy (laughs) and then they're going to blast the shit out of thanos i don't think captain marvel is going to be the key to victory i kind of i kind of hope not because it's too easy if she is. <laughs> yeah, right? It's too easy if they fail twice at two movies, and then she shows up and goes, boom, all-powerful goddess, bow, punches yeah, him, no. and Thanos goes flying. I think she shows up, plays a role, gets introduced, but I think Captain America and Iron Man are going to die, Yeah, and they're going to do so sacrificially, and yeah. you can't convince me otherwise. And then I think everybody else is going to make some kind of big sacrifice, yada, yada, something, something, and we're going to be going back into time to these moments that we've lived through once, and we're going to get a different perspective on, and they'll be slightly wrinkled, and they're going to be grabbing stones left and right. Boy, that would accomplish not only a fascinating movie, but also almost like a like a curtain call to show those moments again. Yeah. To, well, that's... to, to relive all that stuff mm-hmm. again. Yeah. yeah, but play them with a wrinkle this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so instead, of, instead of Peter Quill grabbing the purple stone and the rest of the Guardians... Touching him or what's Rocket does something in this new version yeah, of it yeah, yeah. to get that stone to somebody else, and it's not going to end up with Roman. What was his name? Ronan. Ronan. Yeah, that was close. Yeah. So, what do you think? What do you think Captain Marvel's uh, role will be then? Because she's obviously called as a last second. Thing. She is. She is. Um, I just feel like. Cause I, okay, as I was first working through this theory, my first supposition was they would again fail. 
and then she would show up and save the day. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that's just bad storytelling. Yep. And that doesn't mean they won't do that. But I think they have gotten to a place of storytelling where they're beyond that kind of decision. Yep. And so I think they will do something to limit her powers, to keep her from being Superman levels of all powerful so that she can be involved in the battle, but not single handedly take out Thanos. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, maybe she's because of her special, unique nature. Maybe she's able to touch a stone or wield a stone that somebody else isn't or what have you. But I don't think it's going to be as simple as it's not going to be like the end of Infinity War where Thor lands on Earth and Hulk is like, you guys are so screwed now. And he just starts kicking ass. That's not going to be what her appearance is. No, there's got to be something because as we've seen, the MCU, if it has a, a limitation, it's with dealing with super powerful characters right. like Vision and Scarlet Witch, who could essentially end everything yeah. Yeah. by themselves. Mm-hmm. But they have to find a way to take them out of the picture somehow. Mm-hmm. So what will happen is in what will happen, what I think may happen is in Captain Marvel, we're shown this all powerful being that can kick ass on her own and basically take care of any, anything. But there will be some sort of marginalization by yes. the time Avengers 4 comes out to where she can't play a role by herself. She has to be a sum part of the team. Yeah. Because as she's presented in the comics, she's ve- it's very much Superman. She's like Superman. Yeah, very, right. very little reason for there to be anyone that could ever beat her. So I do think that she will be that level of powerful because she's going to be fighting aliens in yeah. her own origin story in the 90s, by the way. She's yeah. wearing like a nine-inch nail shirt. Nice. Um, so, you know, she can do like sun powers and laser rays and whatnot, whatever the fucks. And then something happens. Boom. Now I'm only half the man I used to be. And then now we get a song by uh, Scott. <laughs> What's his name? Scott Weiland. Scott Weiland. <laughs> Stap. Um, but, so all I really want to put on the record is that I think Red Skull's appearance was super important in hindsight. Mm-hmm. And I think that moment between him and Cap from the first Avenger where he grabbed that Tesseract is going to be revisited and different things will happen. I This is a very fascinating theory, and I would watch the shit out of I've that I've written movie. three pages in a Word document of this theory. That's how long I've been <laughs> stewing on it for about a week and a half. Um, and I don't, I don't, you know me, like, when was the last time I was like, I got a fan theory yeah. about a movie. <laughs> it's going to be this, this. I just can't get it out of my head that Red Skull was important. And that's why, okay, so they had to recast that because they went back to Hugo Weaving and he was like, I'm not coming back for that shit. Mm-hmm. I'm not coming back for three seconds. Because he was bitter about how it had played out the first time through. Right. But I think the character is too important to what they're trying to accomplish. And the only reason that makes sense is if we're going back to that moment he grabbed the That's an thing. interesting theory because, yeah, why the fuck is Red Skull in there? Is it just as the Sens video said? Is it, you know, an excuse to bring back a character just for recognition's sake? That's that's my cynicism. Yeah. Uh, I, I, this theory had to have been born from that thing that you were talking about with the when Thanos gets the Soul Stone, right? Yeah, Where yeah. all that whole, you know, like there's just a whole like like gap. There's like a gap there we yeah. don't under, quite understand. But yeah, I mean that would be an awesome movie. Yeah, maybe maybe that's where it's going. If it is, then we owe Jeremy a Coke. There you go. <laughs> uh, he, By the way, uh, anything about those Captain Marvel trailers get you get you horny for it? No, those I mean. Are- Besides, those are not, yeah. in my opinion, those are not great trailers. Uh, no, but I do not. None of the Infinity War trailers did it for me either. In fact, I was rolling my eyes at most of them, and I ended yeah. up enjoying that film. Yeah, I don't know that Marvel has as good a track record on trailers as they do an Ultimate finished product. Uh, but no, so far what I've seen of Captain Marvel, I'm only going because she's going to be connected to the MCU. The trailers do not sell me. Yeah, I've, I don't also- know how many different times am I going to see her put her fist on the damn ground. Yeah, exactly, right? And also, how many MCU movies are coming out in the next year? 
Is it just Captain Marvel and in, in uh, Avengers? I think it's I think just so. those two, yeah. Oh, you were no, talking- Far From Home. Spider-Man. Yeah, Spider-Man Far From Home. Because you were talking about how there's three Disney movies, Aladdin and uh, Lion King and whatever, yeah. coming out within a summer. Yeah. But it's the same thing with MCU. Like, yeah. are, we're, they're starting to test our our ability to, to stomach all this stuff. Because those are arguably three enormous properties. Yeah. I mean, Captain Marvel could take off, no pun intended. Uh, Avengers, obviously, will be you know crushing it. And then everybody loved Homecoming, so Spider-Man should do this too, but they're not spacing it out. It's like with it, between March and July, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. They're trying I'm to stay looking away forward from to all of them. Star Wars Episode Nine next winter. Yeah, I guess so. I but I, you'd think people wouldn't be scared of that anymore. Yeah, I don't know. Wait, why not? The Last Jedi actually made a ton, fuck ton of money, I mm-hmm. guess, but it was so critically divisive I, that uh, I, I think episode nine is is a movie that you basically avoid unless you have a jumanji type mm. movie that can sort of um you know get that you know i guess i don't know what i don't know if you would even call i guess you would call it counter programming what jumanji did usually that's uh it's like a female oriented movie that goes up against sure. star wars or something like that but um I, but, I i still will never figure out why people were so scared of this december uh, whether it was uh, solo or whether it was you know any of the other huge properties I, that maybe were maybe scared of Aquaman, uh, just doesn't I, doesn't make any sense. Really, honestly though, I don't understand why. I still don't understand why Aquaman and Bumblebee are coming out uh, same the day. same day. <laughs> yeah, That's just dumb. Sense. One of you has to be like. I know that there's this big dick measuring contest over release dates, but. You know, I I've never been about that type of shit. Like I just if I had any if I'm one or the other movies, I'm moving. Yeah. Doesn't matter which one. I'm like, all right, well that's going to eat into my audience, so why don't I come out with this in March? Yeah. Or why don't I come out with this in January? Who gives a shit? Right. You know? Um because those we, as it's been proved time and time again, you can come out as long as it looks good. People will come and yeah, watch. look at look at into the Spider Verse. Yeah, doing pretty well. Uh, you know, on its own, even though it's it's an unusual property. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it's good, people are gonna watch. And it. you know, I I talked a little bit when Venom started making all that bank about how I thought Sony would yank Spider Man back away from their agreement with Marvel, and I I think that even more now that Into the Spider Verse is doing so mm-hmm. well. And I don't I don't care. I'm gonna tell you why I don't care because all all I ever really wanted was good Spider Man movies. Yeah. Yeah, and if Sony's going to make those, I don't care if Marvel's attached to it. I don't all. care if Iron Man is in the Spider-Man movie. And after or not. Far From Home, they're going to need a new agreement. Their agreement, from my understanding, only covered the two Avengers: Infinity War and its sequel, mm-hmm. Homecoming, and Far From Home. Well, that's interesting. And if uh, if Tony dies in Avengers Four, there's no reason for him to 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 be in the Spider-Man movies anyway. Yeah, it all depends on how much money changed hands to make this deal happen, mm-hmm. but. You know, surely if Sony could make more by doing it all themselves. But again, apparently I haven't seen Venom, but it's making enough money. It's definitely pleasing Chinese audiences. Mm. Might be bad. I don't know. But this one's good. All I really want is good movies. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I really want. Me too. You want to do some questions? Fuck it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yes. (laughs) Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. 
well then. <laughs> now that the enthusiasm yes, is up. Exactly. Uh, this one's fun. Uh, I thought of a question for you guys to have some fun with. If you could take any comedy and replace the lead with an actor that isn't known for being funny, but mostly known for being over the top, what movie and actor would you choose? For example, this person thinks it would be interested to watch Ace Ventura, but instead of uh, Jim Carrey, Ace is played by Nicolas Cage. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't think that would be nice. When this when we first tried to answer this question, I was thinking maybe somebody like Gary Oldman could be in some comedy, but everything that I put Gary Oldman in became a completely different kind of comedy at that point. Uh-huh. Like what? Um I I think I had Gary Oldman and some Jim Carrey, like Bruce Almighty, I think, or something <laughs> like that. And it just becomes a different kind of movie. He's got too much gravity to him, man. <laughs> yeah, it just becomes a different movie, and I don't, I don't even, I don't even know if it's something that's recognizable as a comedy at that point, right. you know. Um, so I thought Gary Oldman, and then uh, I thought, here we go, Tommy Wiseau. In the Big Lebowski. <laughs> <laughs> the thing, the thing that people derive a lot of quote unquote entertainment from the room is Tommy Wiseau's weird performance. Yeah. Uh, weird. Um, <laughs> it is weird on a level where y you actually have to think about it on several different levels. That's how crazy it is. Like there's times where he says things that's obviously like bad actory um <laughs> there are times that i don't think he understands the words he's saying even though he wrote those words <laughs> um there are there are moments where the the emotion is just too much for the scene um you know and you know you have to the thing about the room is there's just so many things about it that like well yeah he he's probably acting that way because it was written this way well oh he wrote, he wrote it, it. Yeah. and and then like well what about the director well he directed we, it <laughs> there's um, gotta be some blame to assign to this yeah um and and so it there's so many levels of weirdness to that whole thing um putting him in a situation like the big lebowski which is a confusing thing you know jeff bridges is a stoner he's <laughs> not he's way ab above his head on this um but like uh but you put Wizzo in this and like <laughs> like have him do all the things that Jeff Bridges does in there that movie becomes it's not the comedy classic that it is revered <laughs> as today but it would be a very strange interesting <laughs> yeah, film it would be. uh and uh would and, you keep the Coens directing it oh my god <laughs> yes they'd have to deal with this dude yes <laughs> And, uh, I don't, you know, obviously I don't think that would ever happen in billions of years would that ever happen. Um, but if you were somehow able to find a way to make it happen, I would watch that movie. <laughs> I would watch that movie. Yeah. Has Tommy Wiseau been in anything other than the room? Yes. But I don't remember. I'm looking at what the other right things here. are. Uh, he has 16 credits as an actor. Yeah. There was a time where he had some tv show in the works something like the neighbors or something uh the neighbors exactly yeah, yeah there's one uh called the tommy we show yeah that was the that now tom but the tommy we show 
was a YouTube thing. Oh yeah, where he where an alien kidnaps him to, and he has to play video games to to live. <laughs> and I wrote a review of this on Real SEO, really, because uh, I didn't like it. And the reason why I didn't like it was they just kind of put him in. And to play these ga- games he's obviously never seen before, doesn't know how to play and whatever. And they're, su- they're supposed to derive some sort of humor from it. But he's he's not good at games. And there's nothing in the game that makes it like there's no point to any of the thing. And I just <laughs> thought it was just I, I thought it was just a cruel like we we think Tommy Wiseau is funny because he's Tommy Wiseau and he won't he doesn't understand anything and he's the joke <laughs> so let's throw him in there and I just thought it was a cruel thing I remember even getting a a comment from the creator on that article oh really yeah he's like oh you're completely wrong about this and all that <laughs> and I was like ah okay but when you watch it there's not anything like entertaining about how he plays the games it would be interesting to me if he was told the rules and like you know here's how you play this and then he goes in and he actually starts playing it for real but like when you see what's on screen it's like it's a guy who's just completely lost Mm. and it's just not funny but yeah i remember seeing that (laughs) fuck you buddy yeah fuck you buddy (laughs) i got a hyper specific and weird one all right what about bob okay Mm -hmm. only daniel day lewis takes on the psychiatrist role okay and ian mckellen takes the bill murray role oh my god I don't know. I didn't you like. Could, I don't write the questions. I just answer them. I just, I'm just wrapping my brain around this. So Daniel Day Lewis is Richard Dreyfus. Yes, and Ian McKellen is yes. Bob Wiley. Yes, doing the Tourette's jokes. With He's the never gone. The He's <laughs> never gone. <laughs> you see, <laughs> I'm sailing. <laughs> <laughs> wow sail you fools yes <laughs> i think it would be good no i like this i like this idea oh god because those are two guys not known for comedies right being thrown in to something like this and and like it wouldn't be as lighthearted as what about as what about bob is but it would be very interesting and entertaining <laughs> i think it could be i like it I, too, have a Bill Murray movie. Oh, excellent. So uh, I want to see Groundhog Day. And this is a, a, a movie where Bill Murray is a relaxed dick. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. He's off-putting and he's snarky and all that stuff, but he's still got that laid-back persona yeah. and things like that. There's times where he gets a little, like, agitated. But imagine, like, in the same era, like, 90, early 90s era Pacino as, <laughs> as Phil Connors. Yeah. And imagine like him getting progressively like he's already a, a, an asshole weatherman when he's reporting from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. But then imagine him like getting progressively more agitated and ending up doing like a whole Pacino soliloquy yeah. about it's the same <laughs> goddamn day yeah. over and over again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think it'd be great. And then he mellows out and he, you know, he learns all the stuff mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, he could flash that smile when he's wearing the, the, the sunglasses playing the piano yeah. and everything. Yeah. Pacino. I'm a god. Maybe not the god. <laughs> maybe the maybe the real god knows so many things because he's seen it over and over already. <laughs> you can see him answering the shit on Jeopardy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Calcutta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My other one was uh, imagining Michael Shannon in the Forty Year Old Virgin. Oh yeah. 
Oh my god! Is everybody else the same? Yeah. Everybody else is and the he same. Just, can he play it like really Michael Shannon? Like really <laughs> yeah, creepy? Yeah, he's, like, and he's doing all of the same dialogue that Steve Carell oh, does. I think that would be amazing. Actually, <laughs> that would be awesome. I think that would be fucking phenomenal. You see, like the because the 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 guy Steve Carell is playing in the Forty Year Old Virgin is not normal. Yeah. Like there's some sort of oddity to him that they just kind of embrace and nurture. But if it's played by Michael Shannon yeah. with like this background of menace, and he had all those, <laughs> he had all those figures and dolls displayed in his house. Yeah. He'd be a serial killer. Yeah. This would be an episode of Criminal Minds. Forty-year-old yeah. virgin killer. <laughs> it's yeah. like all of the eccentricities that were adorable with Steve Carell. <laughs> yeah, and he's screaming at the waxer too. By the oh, way, yeah. oh, <laughs> Kelly Clarkson. Kelly Clarkson. <laughs> by the way, Michael Shannon was in Groundhog Day. He was. He There's was. A, uh, there's a couple that's getting married, and and he comes up to oh, Phil. Shit. And uh, and he's like, I'd like to thank you for. Uh, blah, right. blah. Yeah, it's one of his end. first movies. Uh, and then uh, it's funny. The other day, Vanilla Sky was on, and he's in that too. He's like a prison guard or some shit. Really? Like when- he's the newest. Holy fuck! I forgot he was in that actor for me. Because he was in tweet. Pearl Harbor when I rewatched that mm. recently. I just tweeted out about uh, 8 Mile. Yeah. I forgot he was in fucking yeah. 8 Mile. He's popping up left and right. He was the Kim Basinger dad, right? Uh, <laughs> Basinger boyfriend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. The, the boyfriend. That dude went to high school with us, man. But, uh, but yeah, it, there's the scene. That dude went to <laughs> there's the scene though where Kurt, where it, I think it's one of the first scenes where Kurt Russell's talking to fucked up face Tom Cruise mm-hmm. and like uh, there's a prison guard or something like that behind him and he's like and he tells Tom Cruise you're gonna fry for this or some shit like that you're gonna go down for this and all that interesting <laughs> yeah Michael Shannon Michael fucking Shannon I'm telling you 40 year old virgin let's do one more hello Sencast. hi hi hey what's uh, up what are some of the best or most effective movies where they switch main characters during the course of the movie i finally saw a quiz show yay and i liked how the first part of the movie seemingly had john Turturro's character perspective uh and then switched until rob morrow uh when he went to new york uh this is an interesting question mm-hmm. i like this because there's not seemingly a whole lot of these where it just switches the perspective yeah you know um so I've talked about a movie called He Loves Me, He Loves Me Not, which has got Audrey Tattoo in it mm-hmm. as a woman who is chasing uh, a man, a married, her married lover around and like trying to get acknowledgement from him. And he is treating her like shit the entire time. And uh, and you're like, what's going on with this? They're having an affair, but he's not. He's like just treating her like trash and all that. And then the movie then cuts over to his perspective and he just uh, uh he just sees her as a stalker hmm. and as like they've never had any relationship whatsoever and it completely changes everything that you see about the in the first whatever minutes it you know takes with audrey tattoo's uh perspective you like this movie right i do i haven't seen it since it came out but i it, it was memorable enough that i keep referring back to it in lesser hands you could see this being like a lifetime movie yeah and you know i don't even know if this one has like a huge like uh like um imdb rating or anything like that um let me see yeah, 7.2 hmm um but uh it was really well done i hadn't seen any movie like that i've always thought that that that's a an interesting thing to go uh have somebody's perspective and then have the movie completely change once you see somebody else's 
going through the same things and everything. And we've seen stuff like that before, but this one's making it more part of the movie structure. The other one, this one is, it's debatable if this fits, but Pulp Fiction uh kind of does this there's never really any main character in pulp fiction Mm. they do make you follow jules and well first they start with you know honey bunny and and uh and them in the in the uh, diner so they're the main characters then it's jules and vincent they're the main characters and then it switches on to bruce willis and he's the main character does it several times but I don't know if that really fits it because it is kind of an anthology type of story or whatever. You're comfortable in Vincent Vega's perspective, though, because after the, the first version of the, the cafe heist, mm-hmm. even though he's accompanied by, by Jules, it's Vincent's movie because mm-hmm. you go into the, uh, the, the, where they, they kill, uh, Brad and everything or Brett. Um, and then, you know, it follows him to get heroin and then it follows him on the date with Mia. And so by the time it does get to Butch, you feel like there's a little bit of like whiplash there because you're so comfortable with that Travolta character and he does it so well. And it's such a cool character that it's almost like, I want to go back. I don't want to you hang out with butch while he's talking about oral pleasure and stuff like that, you know? And then eventually you do, but, uh, and especially when he kills Vincent, like that's just like the big like yeah you know whiplash moment where it's like what no 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 i love that guy yeah although you know i could we could argue this i think vincent's only real main character spot in the movie is the uma thurman thing i think jules is. is the main character of those other two segments and the latter well possibly in the the latter two the bonnie situation remember in the first one Yes, he Travolta's going on and on about Burger King and all that, and and then they talk about Tony Rocky Horror and all mm-hmm. that. And it's basically equal footing until they get into that room, because mm-hmm. Vincent Vega, his his character, he's back is in the back, to just be in the back mm-hmm. and say nothing. Yep, and it's all it's all Jules's movie at that point, and it's all it's nearly all Jules's movie once they get to the Bonnie situation part. Too. No, I agree, I agree. Um, uh, but yes, he's the one guy who is in every. I think he's in every segment, uh, except even. I mean, I think you hear him in the very, very beginning diner scene he's the only one that's actually in every segment i believe it's interesting that you mentioned tarantino because you could say this about reservoir dogs i don't know if i'm stealing this uh, from you're you. not i was just thinking about inglorious bastards like who's the main character of that movie exactly you got aldo rain i guess at the beginning no not at the beginning um it's almost hans landa's movie you know or the theater owner girl yeah but yeah it's hard to nail down one main character yeah but tarantino does that a lot i think well, that's what me. i was Go about ahead. to say for reservoir dogs the whole beginning of this is is Harvey Keitel's movie, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, telling him from his perspective, his dealings with Lawrence Tierney and, and all that stuff. And then smash cut yeah. uh, to Tim Roth. And then it's his story from that point forward. Uh, because he sees, he's got the perspective with Mr. Blue cutting off the ear and all that stuff. Uh, it's all his background and learning you know, the stories and all that stuff. So, yeah, he does this, uh, this, this quite a bit. Um I guess Django is is a singular thing. Hateful Eight, I guess, really isn't from anybody's perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, another great Kurt Russell performance, by the mm-hmm. way. Um, it was guitar smashingly good. That's right. Yes. Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, Kill Bill, I guess, is the, the most singular perspective. Yeah. yeah probably. Um, I'm going to cheat. I think I'm cheating. I may not technically be cheating. But I'm going to say the prestige 
makes you wait until virtually the last scene to to figure out if Christian Bale or Hugh Jackman's character is the protagonist. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Doesn't yeah. it go back and forth all movie basically treating them both as the main character or the protagonist? Yeah. Only that final reveal. I mean, you kind of get hints a little earlier. But right up until then, you don't really know, I don't think. No, no, no. Definitely not. Yeah. And so I, I've been watching that movie a lot lately. You don't know what what lengths uh, Hugh Jackman's going to in this whole right. thing. Right, Um And yeah, there's not, there's nothing... In, there's nothing in particularly like particularly sinister by about either one of them they just like really like to have their secrets and they you know one is obviously driven to figure out what how how christian bale's doing this trick this whole time um and and the lengths he's willing to go to get to that point we don't know how far until much later in the mm-hmm. movie but yeah, he's he's just. I mean, he's especially after Piper Parabo dies and, yeah. and everything, and and uh, he's definitely like the sympathetic yeah. character in that. And then that, they tr- they take turns because he shows up and fucks up Christian Bale's uh, bullet catch trick, mm-hmm. and then Christian Bale shows up and fucks up his bird in the cage yeah. trick. Yeah, and you you don't really know until it all settles out at the end. Oh, he was the good guy, and he was the bad guy. Yeah, and even then, there's still a lot of gray area in between. Are you saying that Christian Bale is the good guy yes. ultimately? Yes. Interesting. Oh, but because he's it definitely, such a bad guy, though. He is. He's. I, what I'm saying is he's ultimately the protagonist. Yeah. yeah. And that Hugh Jackman is the antagonist. Yeah, yeah. I keep thinking about, like, every other day he's got his brother, like, living as him. (laughs) And, like, I wonder how many times he actually had to have sex with uh, Rebecca Hall, you know, did did, or, or was it when she said, not today... They didn't have sex wow, that day. And there's that moment. God, okay, so this movie's been on lately. I've mm-hmm. been soaking in it because every time I watch it, I marvel at how he cuts this thing together mm-hmm. because it feels impossible to set out to cut this movie out of sequence the way he does on purpose. Yeah. But that's fucking Christopher Nolan's genius. Uh, but there's that scene where um, he comes he comes home and she, she says, uh, she tells him she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. And his first words were, oh, we should have told Fallon because yeah. Fallon just left because yeah. he knows Fallon, that Fallon is yeah. the one that really loves Rebecca Hall yeah, yeah, yeah. and he really loves Scarlett Johansson and yeah. he wanted to tell the father of the baby the good news. <laughs> yeah. The movie's so fucking awesome. God, oh, yeah, I still God, don't man. think he's come. I, this is his best movie by far to me. Mm. I know there are folks out there that, that don't agree, but no, it's just I, fucking I, flawless. I agree. It is. It I agree. Is. It's my favorite. It's yeah. the one that you can, you're talking about soaking in that's the what it does to you there's something about that score mm. that that setting that he put i mean it's there's something about that that sort of hypnotizes you mm-hmm. uh before you even know it the movie's over it's because uh, yeah. you're just, just wrapped up in it the whole time it it i have also been watching it because it's been on one of those stars channels yeah. a bunch uh lately and uh yeah and it's every time it's been on i'll just have it on and then uh i'll i'll like eat lunch or something i'm like all right i'll i'll finish this movie and then i'll go and do whatever yeah. else i have to do <laughs> you know because it's one of those type of movies yeah yeah uh my example is probably the most classic one of uh, psycho the original mm-hmm. psycho mm. and it's it's 
it's easy to forget almost that it's a completely different movie at the beginning until they get to the the Bates Motel. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, because Janet Lee, it's this whole heist thing and this relationship with her boss and her and her office and all that stuff and how she's got to get the new car and all that stuff and get it to you know get it clean basically and get all the way out of town and she just happens to to stop over in this this uh, this roadside motel. And then as soon as she dies, and it's up until she dies, I think, that it's still her perspective because she doesn't even see. In fact, when you when you see the knife, it's from, you know, it's looking yep. at her. And then it's back to Anthony Perkins. Mm-hmm. And from that point forward, really. You know what I just watched the other day? Hmm? Psycho 3. Mm. Okay. Anthony Perkins, Jeff Fahey. Oh, oh really? Wow. Made in the early to mid 80s. Oh, how was it? I turned it off. I, I hear Psycho 2 is actually That's good. what I have heard since I made that Psycho 2 crack in a previous podcast. I think it was Jonathan was telling me it's actually pretty good. <laughs> but then I saw Psycho 3 on and I was like, I also, oh, I did have a warn. I watched all four species movies in a span of 48 hours. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and if you've never seen the, se- the, the third and fourth species movies, you are missing out. Because somewhere between the first movie and the last movie, it becomes a thing in these films where she can gain the knowledge of any book just by touching it, <laughs> which is exactly the same as one of Meteor Man's powers. Yeah. In Robert Townsend's Meteor Man. Yeah. Where he touches that, that fashion model runway book and throws it at the villain and then they have a runway model walk yeah. on back and forth um anyway uh so in in psycho three it's anthony perkins i was surprised he was still making these yeah, yeah, yeah. um and jeff fahey shows up as a drifter who is looking for a job so he gets hired on the spot as you do back in the 80s and so while perkins is gone a guest comes and fahey puts her in suite one which was the janet lee suite and perkins gets a little weird then he sees her and she looks just like Janet Lee's character and he has flashbacks and he goes upstairs and he puts on the mom clothes and he comes down with a knife to kill her and she's already killed herself in his tub. Oh, oh okay. Wow. And that's where I checked out. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Christ. I totally cut off the ear answering the question about how Psycho has two different main characters. No, I mean, that's it. I mean, that's it's weird because there's a part of me and this this happens when I'm when I'm reading a book, too, where you're really invested in a storyline and then a new chapter starts and it's a completely different character, mm-hmm. or a different mm-hmm. story. Yeah. And there's a part of me that's like, no, I really, I'm really connecting to that, but it's a necessary thing, mm-hmm. obviously, to, to tell a full story. And for this, I, I was so interested in that, that first part of it. I wanted to see if she could get away with it. And then, of course, if you let Hitchcock do his thing, you will be spirited away to an even mm. better place. Yep. It's, uh, Psycho's got the classic, um, you know, you've been following Janet Lee and, and uh, you hope that she redeems herself because she's stealing money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you hope that she redeems herself and everything. And then uh, and then this asshole comes in and kills her. But then you're suddenly wrapped up in how he's going to get away with it. Yeah. And you're kind of rooting for you him. I know it's one of those sick things <laughs> that Hitchcock would do in his movies was like make you consider your own fucking right. life. And uh, just you know, like vertigo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're like rooting on basically a creepy fucking stalker. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And uh, you know, because the when the he puts that car in the in the water, and he's like sitting there eating the candy corn or whatever mm-hmm. he's eating. He's like, you know, the the thing doesn't sink all the way at first, and right. you and you see his face, and you're like, 
oh shit he may not get away with this yeah <laughs> i really like janet lee but i want him to get away with it <laughs> okay well uh, that'll do it for this week uh keep going to syncast presented by cinema sins on facebook uh reddit uh cinema sins twitter there's a lot of things places to come and talk to us about this very episode we also have a patreon yeah baby Ooh. we just finished a hangout yeah we did one before this podcast taping with the uh patreon members and, and with our whole crew too all yeah, five of us we had here. jonathan in studio dicer usually moderates these and filters questions from the chat feed as well as the cinema Sin discord and we do a 30 minute kind of hangout and fireside chat without the fire they're fun yeah yeah, yeah i'm enjoying them yeah but uh, that'll do it for this week it's chris Atkins and jeremy scott and barrett share we'll see you next time thanks for listening comment on our episodes on our soundcloud page check us out on youtube twitter facebook and reddit and be sure to visit cinemasins.com. Oh, fuck me. That's awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> that is fucking it's, amazing. It's the, uh, limited edition print. Shit, yeah. Fine. You can go to East oh, my God. That's fucking amazing. And then for you... We got assigned. Should we tell them that? Might as well. I already yeah. said it. Assigned <laughs> devil's advocate photo with Keanu and Al Pacino. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. Badass. Mm-hmm. So, Thank you, guys. Christmas rules. Christmas yes. does rule. I love Christmas. <laughs> and, uh, and it's something that I knew I said a lot because I listened to the podcast too. <laughs> and, uh, you don't say. And, uh, and, uh, and so I wrote back, yes, yes, I do. <laughs> and I haven't heard anything since. Nice. It's like, it's like, it's like almost like that guy was like, I've had enough of this. Fuck him. <laughs> I'm going to tell him for the last I'm gonna, time. I'm going to say it and I'm not going to listen to it anymore. <laughs> it's like that guy that Elaine dates on Seinfeld who, has bad he's a bad breaker upper yeah yeah because <laughs> he insults him on her, on his way out okay big head <laughs> and then the whole rest of the episode she's like keeps thinking her head is big yeah. and like a bird flies into her head like it can't avoid it <laughs> i ain't never seen that before bird flew into a woman's head been sitting on this same bench for 10 years <laughs> and then she comes in and jerry's like what's wrong she's like nothing except for my giant freak head <laughs> The one that's on top of my disproportionately tiny body. (laughs) (laughs) That's the Drifters. That's the best version of White Christmas. Well, the problem is it was used in Home Alone so iconically. And then fucking the Santa Claus uses the exact same version in its entirety. Yeah. Oh, Although when they play it on Santa TV, Claus. they cut it out. They cut a huge set, drives my wife crazy. This is one of my wife's favorite movies. By oh, the way. I'm so I'm so sad. But for like, you. there's a section after he burns the turkey, where in the movie that song plays a great deal. Yeah, because he goes to different drive spots. through town, yeah, yeah. and the credits play. But the, on TV, when they when they cut it for commercials, it just jumps right to them at the restaurant being seated. Oh, really? Yeah. Ah. And my wife gets really angry about that. And I'm always like, <laughs> why don't you just put in the DVD? And that doesn't have that'll have everything you want in there. And she's like, oh, she wants it the way she wants it. So, and (laughs) (laughs) 
just out of the corner of my eye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs>